A shutdown of the federal government appears likely, with government funding expected to run out by the end of the day tomorrow. It's Friday, September 29th, and this is WBUR's All Things Considered. Good afternoon, I'm Deborah Becker. Coming up, the latest on the attempts to avert a government shutdown and what effect might have if it happens. Also this hour, we remember Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has died at the age of 90. She ran for the Senate after the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Clarence Thomas. And what did I see but an all-male Senate Judiciary Committee grilling Anita Hill? And it was not nice. It's 401. The top stories are next. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The U.S. House has failed to pass a short-term spending bill to prevent parts of the government from shutting down October 1st. NPR's Windsor Johnson reports nearly two dozen Republicans joined Democrats in voting against the measure. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is grasping at straws right now after the latest blow from members of his own caucus. McCarthy has faced relentless pushback from a handful of Republican hardliners who are pushing for lower spending levels and Trump-era border security policies. With just one day to go and no compromise in sight, a number of federal agencies could begin shutting down on Sunday. NPR's Windsor Johnston reporting. Flags over the U.S. Capitol are lowered this hour in memory of Senator Dianne Feinstein. On the Senate floor, her colleagues, including Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, mourn Feinstein's death. Today, we grieve. We look at that desk and we know what we have lost. Feinstein died last night at the age of 90. Today, she's being remembered as a trailblazer. The Democrat was the first woman to be elected to represent California in the U.S. Senate. She was in her sixth term. Breakthrough today in the nearly 30-year-old investigation of Tupac Shakur's murder. In Las Vegas a short time ago, Lieutenant Jason Johansson announced an arrest in connection with the iconic rapper's killing. For 27 years, the family of Tupac Shakur has been waiting for justice. We are here today to announce the arrest of 60-year-old Dwayne Keith Davis, a.k.a. Keefe D., for the murder of Tupac Shakur. Shakur was 25 when he was gunned down in a drive-by shooting. The outgoing Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley says U.S. military does not swear an oath to a, quote, wannabe dictator. NPR's Frank Ordonez has more on the apparent swipe at former President Donald Trump during a military handoff ceremony. General Milley gave a heartfelt and sometimes heated speech on democracy during a ceremony honoring him and other departing military leaders. We don't take an oath to a country. We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or a queen or to a tyrant or a dictator. And we don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. Although he didn't mention Trump by name, it appeared a clear jab at the former president who accused Milley of treason and has suggested that Milley would have been punished by death in the past. Trump attacked Milley over phone calls he made assuring China that the U.S. had no intentions of attacking the country at the end of Trump's term. That's Frank Ordonez. It's NPR News. 
This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good afternoon. I'm Deborah Becker. Members of the state's congressional delegation are remembering U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. Senator Ed Markey calls her a trailblazer for the rights of women and the LBGTQ plus community. Congresswoman Catherine Clark calls Feinstein an unparalleled figure in American politics who inspired generations of leaders. Harvard is officially welcoming its new president. A ceremony is underway to welcome Claudine Gay as the university's 30th president. She started the job in July. Gay is Harvard's first black president and only the second woman to lead the institution. A wrong turn led to some chaos in downtown crossing this afternoon. At about 1230, a tour bus turned a corner and hit some scaffolding near the intersection of Washington and Water Streets. Streets in the area were closed for about an hour. No one was hurt. The time is five minutes past four. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing a transformative approach to justice that is community-led, restorative, and racially just. Learn more at publicwelfare.org. In our forecast, rain tonight, thunderstorms likely, temperatures in the 50s. Tomorrow, showers in the morning, cloudy the rest of the day. Highs will be in the 60s and sunshine on Sunday with temperatures near 70 degrees. It is 60 degrees right now in Boston. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Welch and Forbes. Over 100 years of experience providing comprehensive estate settlement services for individuals. WelchForbes.com and Brown University, offering a portfolio of online, evidence-based mindfulness programs for all. Learn more at professional.brown.edu. Hi, it's Robin Young. WBUR needs more members and member dollars to fuel our journalism. So we're looking for 2,500 listeners to become monthly contributors to give WBUR a strong future. Join us. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. You can also call 1-800-909-9287. We do need more members. We need you to become a member of WBUR during this fundraiser. As Robin Young just said, the goal is 2,500 sustaining members, people who will help sustain the journalism that we bring you every day. So do it now and do it today because we have a terrific sweepstakes going on that we'll tell you about momentarily. But right now we want you to think about the news and information that you get from this radio station and the high quality journalism that we bring every day and become a sustaining member to WBUR. I'm Deborah Becker. With me in the studio, Candace Springer. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. I mean, Deb almost said it all. But I'll just say it again, you know, at WB. Are you saying I talk too much? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but I'm going to reinforce your messaging, oh, of you. course. So we're doing everything at WBUR that we can to help foster understanding about the most important issues around us. But the challenges that we face are enormous. And WBUR needs, you know, listeners like you to sustain us so that we can sustain you. So that 2,500 may seem daunting, but I know that we can do it because we hear all the time about how much WBUR means to you. So now is the time to dig deep and think about all the ways that WBUR supports you in your life and to support us with a monthly contribution. It could be $5 or $10. And like Deb said, we have some really amazing sweepstakes that we can enter you in on if you do just that, right? But yes. this is the fun part. Yes. But we can talk about the sweepstakes. It's an amazing sweepstakes, but you only have until 7 
seven o'clock tonight. Clock is ticking. Clock is ticking. <laughs> Absolutely. So here's the deal. So you need to make this pledge for the news by seven o'clock. You've got less than three hours. So take the two minutes now so you don't forget and get in on the sweepstakes to win a trip for two to London and the ability to eat at Otto Lange restaurant. So Otto Lange is incredible. He's a world-renowned chef. He writes for the New York Times, writes for the Guardian, many, many cookbooks. So you will get in on being able to actually experience Otto Lange food at Otto Lange restaurants. And London's the only place you can do that. So this man who's credited with, you know, bringing vegetables really to the forefront of dining, even fine dining, and mm-hmm. someone who's really been part of the whole shared plates movement. Um, one publication actually said he changed the palate of the UK. I'm not quite sure we can say that, but <laughs> a little journalist skeptical here. But he is an amazing chef, and you will be able to experience that food and go to London if you get in on the sweepstakes by 7 o'clock tonight. Yeah, and if you give a gift of $12 or more a month, you can also get Ottolenghi's cookbook, Extra Good Things. So you can cook at home, use all of these recipes, then you can go to London and experience them. All you have to do is call 1-800-909-9287, or you can give at WBUR.org. And let's hear an example of the storytelling um, that listener support makes possible at WBUR. Hi, I'm Chloe Axelson, the senior editor of Cognoscenti, WBUR's ideas and opinion page. One of my very favorite Cog essays is about the power of admitting our own ignorance. Leah Hager Cohen wrote the piece. She's an author and a college writing instructor. Her essay for us became the basis of a whole book about the courage to say, I don't know. Here's a little bit of her essay. The condition of being human involves an awful lot of not knowing. The more we're able to acknowledge this, the more unabashedly we may inhabit our own skins. Leah writes that our culture often places value on judging and gatekeeping, but the freedom to say, I don't know, honors vulnerability. It chews away the tendency many of us have to pretend to know more than we do because we're fearful of being found out or excluded. It's the kind of self-protection that can make you feel more disconnected and lonely. We don't know everything at WBUR, we don't purport to, but in our work to seek truth, facts, and understanding, We value the chance to be a trusted member of your community. So that's the storytelling we're asking you to foster with your monthly contribution right now at WBUR. When you give a little each month, you're giving to our entire community. So give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. That's right. You know, you're, you're really doing your part to make sure that the community has the journalism it needs. And if you know that journalism has suffered uh, tremendously over the past uh, decade or so, and you want strong journalism, then support your public radio listening today. Support independent quality journalism by making a pledge and get in on this sweepstakes. Seven o'clock tonight is the deadline for you to be entered in a drawing to win a trip to London that includes not only your airfare and your accommodations, but also a chance to eat at Otto Lange restaurants. World-renowned chef Otto Lange restaurants. They're only in London and you could go, but you need to call 1-800-909-9287 or at WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Fall Experience, featuring four dynamic ballets on stage October 5th to the 15th. Tickets at bostonballet.org. And Stanhope Framers, Back Bay and Somerville. 
celebrating 51 years of handmade museum quality frames through sustainable practices. StanhopeFramers.com. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Ari Shapiro in Washington. And I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. Well, with about one day to go before a government shutdown, the Republican-led House imploded over a key vote. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy faced a humiliating blow when a new Republican spending stopgap failed. On this vote, the yeas are 198, the nays are 232, the bill is not passed. It was part of a series of failed votes in the House on spending bills, none of which would have prevented a shutdown. Now the Senate and House remain far apart on how to solve this crisis. And NPR congressional correspondent Claudia Grisales is here with more. Hey, Claudia. Hi, Elsa. Okay, so explain why it matters that this House bill in particular failed today. Well, it's a reminder how dire this moment is. It was just very shocking to see 21 Republicans vote against a spending bill crafted by their own leadership to meet the demands of their own party. It signals this widening gap between Speaker McCarthy and his conference. That is, they're moving farther apart as this government shutdown deadline gets closer. And so now the House was trying to race and finally pass their own bill as the Senate's working through a proposal of their own. So it send House members now back behind closed doors to see if they can find some sort of Hail Mary pass at this point. But again, this was a partisan bill, did not get enough support so far. And this is as the Democratic-led Senate's trying to work on their own plan. Right. Well, let's talk about Democrats, because I feel like we've been talking a lot about Republicans infighting with each other. What about Democrats? So in the House, they're sticking to their posture and elsewhere that Republicans are to blame for this impending shutdown. And and these House Democrats are largely on the sidelines, putting more stock into this bipartisan proposal that's making its way through the Senate. The hope is that the Senate can convince McCarthy to allow a vote on this plan. It would pass under bipartisan support in the House. But because of Senate rules, that bill won't make it to the House until later this weekend and likely not in time to avert a shutdown. That said, Senate members are still trying to come up with their own Hail Mary pass, so we'll see. But it's hard to say it will happen fast enough. Well, where does the White House stand at this point? So they're arguing they've done their part here. They point to a deal that was made between President Biden and Speaker McCarthy earlier this year. This was the debt limit deal to avert this kind of scenario when it came to funding. Shalonda Young, the director of the Office of Management and Budget, talked to reporters about this at the White House today. Enough is enough. A deal is a deal. Extreme House Republicans need to stop playing political games with people's lives, keep their promise, and keep the government open. And Young was part of these negotiations earlier this year on the debt limit. She worked with Speaker McCarthy's team and going back and forth to the White House. But McCarthy later walked away from details of this plan that included the spending um, expectations for later this year after pressure from hardline Republicans. Well, Claudia, it does seem like a government shutdown is pretty much inevitable. How quickly do you think people are going to be feeling the effects of this? Well, pretty quickly, come Monday, government services that are normally there will be impacted. Many federal workers will be furloughed. And while those who are considered essential, they'll be forced to work essentially for free without any guarantee they're going to get back pay. And this includes members of the military. Federal agencies will have to shutter certain departments. And as each day goes by, this impact will widen and more Americans will feel it. 
That is NPR congressional correspondent Claudia Grisales. Thank you so much, Claudia. Thank you. Voters in Slovakia, a country of 5 million that borders Ukraine, head to the polls tomorrow. The front-running candidate for prime minister is a Kremlin-friendly populist who's been prosecuted for his ties to criminal gangs. If his party wins, it would mark a dramatic about-face for what was once one of Ukraine's biggest supporters. NPR's Rob Schmitz reports from Bratislava. On a map, Slovakia straddles the border between Western Europe and a region influenced and more recently invaded by Russia. And on the eve of a national election, says political scientist Eric Lastich, Slovakia lies in the same political territory, sandwiched between illiberal, some say dying, democracies like Poland to its north and Viktor Orban's Hungary to the south. Then there's democratic Austria and the Czech Republic to its west and to Slovakia's east, Ukraine with Russia trying to close in. So this debate about where Slovakia belongs, whether it's Western Europe or we have to be good friends with Russia. That last option is the one preferred by the front-running party Smer, or Direction, in Slovak. Its candidate for prime minister, Robert Fico, is well known to voters here. He's been prime minister twice before, and he and his left-wing party have campaigned on a pro-Russian, anti-American platform. The only winner of war in Ukraine, said Fico in a campaign ad, are American weapons manufacturers who are controlling President Biden. Fico, labeled a populist by political analysts, repeats the Russian narrative about the war, calling Ukrainians Nazis and insisting the West starts wars and the East offers peace. You have conspiracy theories about foreign agents funded by CIA, funded by United States. Katarina Klinkova of the Globsec Center for Democracy and Resilience says many Slovaks feel an affinity for Russia that goes back more than a century. Slovaks are vulnerable to, let's say, pro-Russian sentiments, and there are several drivers of this Russian soft power. You know, you have generations since the 19th century who were taught about this pan-Slavic connections with the Russians. Klinkova's organization conducted a survey in Slovakia a few years ago that found 78% of Slovaks consider Russians to be, quote, Slavic brothers. And Moscow has exploited these feelings. A year ago, Slovak security forces filmed a diplomat from the Russian embassy handing over cash to a writer for a Slovak disinformation website. Russia's then-deputy military attaché is heard telling the writer, I told Moscow you are such a good boy with many friends in the Slovak mafia. He then asks the writer to find others willing to cooperate with the Kremlin. The website is now blocked in Slovakia and the diplomat deported. One party pushing back on Russian influence is Progressive Slovakia, which is running neck and neck with Fico's party and, if elected, promises to keep Slovakia's priorities in line with the EU and NATO. Party Vice Chair Tomasz Walaszek says the health of Slovakia's democracy and its role in the EU is at stake in this election. He worries what will happen if Fico's party wins. My worry is that it will start to chip away on things we take for granted, which is freedom of media, NGO, non-governmental sector. They may redirect uh, all of the um, public procurement contracts towards a few select oligarchs close to power. This type of corruption has plagued Fico in the past. Dozens of officials, politicians, and business people linked to Fico's party have been convicted of corruption. And when a Slovak journalist began writing about alleged ties between the Italian mafia and Fico's associates, he was gunned down along with his fiancée. 
The killings prompted protests that led to the collapse of Fizzo's government in 2018. Fizzo later faced criminal charges for creating an organized crime group, but a pro-Russian prosecutor general stepped in and threw out the indictment. When NPR reached out to Fizzo, a party spokesperson replied that nobody from his smear party speaks to foreign media. Political scientist Eric Lastich sees a parallel between how Fizzo frames the criminal charges against him in his campaign for prime minister with a political figure familiar to Americans. But he's using any criminal investigation against him or his allies as another example is they are going after him. So I'm fighting for you. They are trying to stop me. So this is similar to Trump. Critics of Fizzo say he's running for re-election in part to escape future criminal charges. In the old town of Bratislava, a musician plays while people hurry past along cobblestone streets. Nearly everyone I stop uses the same word to describe Fizzo. Fizzo is mafia. But at a farmer's market in the rundown outskirts of the city, a different opinion emerges. A young man who only gives his first name, Milan, says he likes Fico, but he will vote for the Republic Party, a far-right nationalist party. He calls Slovakia's progressives incompetent idiots and says nothing works in his country. He's not alone. Two-thirds of Slovaks leave their country after high school to live elsewhere in Europe. Those who remain will head to the polls on Saturday and decide between two very different futures for their country. Rob Schmitz, NPR News, Bratislava. Photographer Stephen Lomas has a picture that has been in his room for a long time. It shows a solitary tree standing between two hills in northeast England. It was a photographer's paradise. It was a photographer's dream location. It's the Sycamore Gap tree, estimated to have lived for 200 years and famous for appearing in films like Robin Hood. The first time I went there, it's hard to describe because it is just so magical and the terrain is just special. The tree's special and it's beautiful to look at no matter what the weather. It just offers something different. Well, that iconic tree is now gone. Earlier this week, police arrested a 16-year-old suspected of cutting it down. And all week, people have been paying tribute to that tree. Some people have said, it's just a tree. What's the big deal? Nobody's died. True. But it's an iconic, it was an iconic part of our particular corner of the world. The tree sat at a dip in Hadrian's Wall, which marked the northernmost boundary of the Roman Empire. Lomas says he's visited the tree about 20 times and cherishes the memories. The last time that I visited was in March, just me and my dad, with a beautiful, fresh blanket of snow across the, the landscape. And the sun was just starting to set, and I got some stunning photographs. And I feel really sad now that. Although the landscape's still there, the tree isn't. The National Trust, a conservation group in the UK, told NPR that it is possible for the tree to regrow, but it's too early to tell for sure. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. And this is 90.9 WBUR. Thanks for listening this afternoon on Wall Street Today. The Dow closed down 158 points. The S&P dropped 11. The Nasdaq was up 18 points. Marketplace will have all the day's business news at 6.30. It's 24 minutes past 4. 
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Harvard Institute for Learning and Retirement. Join a vibrant academic community, enjoy in-person peer-led courses on their Cambridge campus, speaker events, special interest groups, and more. Apply by October 25th to start in February. To learn more, visit their website, the Harvard Institute for Learning in Retirement. And the Huntington Theater kicking off their thrilling new season with Joshua Harmon's Prayer for the French Republic, now through October 8th. Tickets at HuntingtonTheater.org. In our forecast, rain tonight, thunderstorms possible as well. Highs will be in the 50s. Showers in the morning tomorrow, cloudy the rest of the day. Highs in the 60s. Sunshine on Sunday, temperatures near 70, and that's our forecast for Monday as well. It is 60 degrees in Boston. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Bass, Berry, and Sims Healthcare Law Practice, advising academic medical centers and healthcare providers on complex legal matters nationwide. More at BassBerry.com. And Ocean State Job Lot, whose charitable foundation strives to make a positive impact on its communities. More at OceanStateJobLot.com. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. At WBUR and NPR, we bring you the kind of journalism that makes a difference in the world. Journalism with real impact requires a significant investment from our reporters and editors and our listeners. Our contributing listeners provide the largest share of WBUR's funding. So when you hear a story that makes a difference to you, make a contribution to us. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you. Thank you if you have made a pledge to WBUR during this fall fundraiser. But if you haven't, we're encouraging you to do it now. And we're telling you there's a very important deadline. Because if you make that pledge by 7 o'clock tonight, you get entered in our drawing. It's a sweepstakes to win a trip for two to London and to eat at the restaurants of famed chef Otto Lange. So call now. Become a member of WBUR. Support the journalism and perhaps win that trip to London. Here's the number again. It's one 800 909-9287. The website where you can pledge is WBUR.org. I'm Deborah Becker, and joining me in the studio right now is the Assistant Director of WBUR City Space, Candace Springer. Hello. Hello. You know, starting an ongoing gift, a monthly gift of even $10 or $20 mm. to WBUR is probably the best thing that you could do to help us secure a strong future right now and, you know, make sure that we're maintaining that journalism that's essential to all of us. And also, if you're giving monthly, you can consider adding maybe a dollar or two to what you already give us each month because these small amounts have a significant impact over time and your gift will become so much more than the amount that you give. So you can do that by calling one 800 or give at WBUR.org. And reminder, our goal is we want 2,500 new monthly sustainers this year. And I know that we can do it. We just need your help. And as Deb said, an amazing London sweepstakes is on the table if you support us. That's right. It really is. It's a it's a wonderful trip. Five days and four nights in London for you and a guest and the ability to eat at the Otto Lange restaurants. And, you know, I'm sure you know who he is. He's a very well-known chef, writes for the New York Times and The Guardian. And it, it's really his his food is incredible. It's it's described as Mediterranean uh, with Italian influences and influences from all over. It's sort of hard to pigeonhole, but it's very bold, adventurous food that is 
focused on vegetables. And he puts it, the magic in vegetables, right? really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, it's it's amazing. And this is how uh, Otto Lange actually described it during an interview on, on NPR uh, a couple of years ago. Let's listen. I grew up in, in Jerusalem in the Middle East and in various parts of the Middle East and Asia. The diet is very plant-based and uh, doesn't include lots of meat in it. Meat is more special. You add a little bit of it or you don't use it at all. And that attitude, is, as I think, is a very healthy attitude to eating. It's not about denying yourself of something completely. It's about celebrating the wonderful world of, of vegetables. That is Chef Yotam Adolenghi talking on NPR a few years ago about some of his philosophies about cooking vegetables. The vegetables are amazing, and you will be able to taste them as they were intended. If you've been home cooking Adolenghi recipes, here's your chance to actually go to London and try them first firsthand and get to go to London. Five days four nights. Mm. You're getting get your travel taken care of, your lodging. Guess what? Deb and I were just in London <laughs> recently, so we can attest. It is an amazing city. There's so much to do. And your meals are covered. Like, okay. this is the best of all p- possible worlds. But also, there's a deadline. You have to become a monthly sustainer by 7 o'clock tonight in order to be in the sweepstakes. Hey, maybe you could give $12 a month because then you get a twofer. You can get entered into the sweepstakes mm. and you can get a copy of Odalyn Extra Good Things Cookbook, so you can cook it at home, you can eat it in London. I mean, who could want anything more than this, honestly? (laughs) Truly. I want to go. I want to go. In London, such a wonderful city. Uh, If you you get to go, just remember, you're exploring all the sights and sounds. It's round-trip airfare, accommodations, your uh, gift cards to eat at Otto Lange restaurants. I mean, the trip is valued at $7,000. It's really a wonderful trip, and uh, it's particularly wonderful if you're a foodie and you want to try these restaurants. Um, and even if you don't, it'll still be wonderful. But if you're, you are an aficionado, well, you will really appreciate this. So get in on it. Two and a half hours left before this sweepstakes ends. So make that pledge by seven o'clock tonight. And again, your $12 a month contribution gets you a copy of the Otto Lange Extra Good Things Cookbook. So call now 1-800-909-9287 or pledge online at WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Clark, where chef demonstrations of Wolf Appliances help you compare features and taste the results of ovens, cooktops, ranges, and more. ClarkLiving.com demo. And Salem State University School of Graduate Studies. Join classmates with varied professional and educational backgrounds. SalemState.edu graduate. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has declared a state of emergency as heavy rains pummel New York City, Long Island, and the Hudson Valley. Reporter Gwen Hogan has more on the impact from the sudden storm. Flooding snarled traffic and brought subway service to a grinding halt in some parts of the city. On several major highways, drivers were trapped in their cars and had to be rescued by emergency workers, as did residents of several basement apartments, city officials said. By midday, up to five inches of rain had pummeled the region with more on the way. Officials expected as much as nine inches to fall in some areas. Hochul cautioned New Yorkers to stay at home if possible and use extreme caution if they have to venture out. For NPR News, I'm Gwen Hogan in New York. A new report shows more than half of the nation's counties will face more threats from floods, heat waves, and wildfires as the planet gets hotter. 
NPR's Michael Copley reports the cost of disasters is expected to hit poorer households the hardest. Millions of Americans suffered financially last year because of disasters and severe weather. More will be at risk as the impacts of climate change get worse. That's according to a report from the U.S. Treasury Department. It says that almost 20% of counties in the U.S. will be more exposed to climate hazards in the future and more vulnerable because households have fewer resources to prepare and recover from disasters. Most of those high-risk places are in Appalachia, the Mississippi Delta, and near the U.S.-Mexico border. The Treasury Department says policymakers can invest in things like stormwater management systems to make communities more resilient and ensure households get financial aid when they're hit by disasters. Michael Copley, NPR News. Stocks finished mixed on Wall Street, ending one of the market's worst months of the year so far. The Dow lost 158 points. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good afternoon. I'm Deborah Becker. Members of the state's congressional delegation are remembering Senator Dianne Feinstein, who died last night. She served six terms in Congress. WBUR's Amanda Beeland has more from Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, who called Feinstein a friend. Senator Warren tells Radio Boston that Feinstein was tough and tenacious throughout her career. Warren pointed to a time after the September 11th terrorist attacks when some members of Congress and the public supported the use of torture in interrogating potential terrorism suspects. There were a lot of people who were saying at that moment that that should be the path the United States should take. You know, this would show how tough we were. And Senator Feinstein There were times when she stood alone in government saying no. In 2014, Feinstein released a comprehensive report on the use of torture after 9-11. She said making it public was, quote, an important step to restore our values. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Amanda Beland. The Topsfield Fair is now underway. The 205th anniversary of the Agricultural Fair kicked off just a few moments ago. Fair General Manager Jim O'Brien says they're expecting big crowds. This year, I feel like we're really back as we were before the pandemic. Everybody's really excited. You know, all of our food booths and vendors are back. And the trade building is full of a lot of great things this year. The fair runs through October 9th. Aerosmith is postponing all remaining shows because of its uh, of its Peace Out tour, including a New Year's Eve show that was scheduled at the Garden. In a social media post, the band says lead singer Steven Tyler's vocal injury is more serious than initially thought. They say he has damage to his vocal cords and a fractured larynx. The band hopes to reschedule all of the canceled shows next year. In our weather forecast, rain tonight, thunderstorms likely, temperatures in the 50s. Tomorrow, rain in the morning, cloudy the rest of the day, highs in the 60s, and sunny on Sunday with temperatures near 70 degrees. It is 57 degrees right now in Boston. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Data IQ, a platform for everyday AI dedicated to helping teams move beyond the lab to build generative AI applications at enterprise scale. D-A-T-A-I-K-U dot com. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamucil.com. This is NPR.
This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Ari Shapiro. And I'm Elsa Chang. The trailblazing California Senator Dianne Feinstein has died at the age of 90. She was the longest-serving female senator in U.S. history. Feinstein had planned to retire at the end of her term after suffering health complications that kept her out of Congress for months at a time. Feinstein was elected to the Senate in the Year of the Woman, 1992, making California the first state to be represented by two female senators. From member station KQED in San Francisco, Scott Schaefer takes us through her legacy after serving three decades in Congress. Dianne Feinstein's rise in politics began in 1978, when the city was jolted by two assassinations at City Hall. As president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, she announced the stunning news. Both Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed. When Mayor George Moscone died, Feinstein became mayor, a job she held for nine years. Former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown, a longtime political ally of hers, said Feinstein's handling of the assassinations crisis cemented her reputation. It was a dramatic demonstration of how, in the face of total and complete disaster, somebody could stand up to settle the ship. As mayor, Feinstein governed from the center, winning support from business groups, law enforcement unions, and the city's more conservative voters. In a 2001 interview with C-SPAN, Feinstein attributed her political philosophy to her upbringing. My mother was a Democrat. My father was a Goldwater Republican. So uh, we had a split family. In 1984, San Francisco hosted the Democratic National Convention. Feinstein landed on the cover of Time magazine and made the shortlist to be presidential nominee Walter Mondale's running mate. By then, the AIDS epidemic was ravaging her city. The federal government under President Ronald Reagan mostly ignored it. As a young physician at San Francisco General Hospital, Paul Volberding often briefed Mayor Feinstein on what was needed to fight the disease. I don't recall any moment in the early epidemic when I was told, no, we can't do that because we don't have the resources. In fact, in the mid-1980s, San Francisco alone was spending more on AIDS than the entire federal government. And that really goes to her leadership and a great credit to her. In 1990, after leaving the mayor's office, Feinstein ran for governor. She lost, narrowly, to Republican Senator Pete Wilson. But a year later, the political climate changed with the Senate confirmation hearings of Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas. Welcome, Professor Hill. When law professor Anita Hill accused Thomas of sexual misconduct when they worked together, the Judiciary Committee questioned Hill's integrity and motivation, as Democratic Senator Howell Heflin of Alabama did. Are you a scorned woman? Feinstein used those widely criticized hearings as a springboard to the U.S. Senate. Many people took a look at that all-male Judiciary Committee and frankly felt they badly botched the job. Campaigning for the Senate in San Diego in 1992, Feinstein championed legislation to codify a woman's right to an abortion into federal law. The Congress must pass it and the president must sign it. And if he vetoes it, we must override that veto. Feinstein won the Senate seat, making history as part of the so-called Year of the Woman. In Washington, she championed gun control, overcoming stiff odds to pass a federal ban on assault weapons in 1994. Later that year, she almost lost re-election. 
But she developed a reputation as a workhorse, someone who did her homework and wasn't afraid to rock the boat. In 2014, over objections from the Obama administration, she took to the Senate floor to release a comprehensive report on torture by the CIA following the 9-11 attacks. Releasing this report is an important step to restore our values and show the world that we are in fact a just and lawful society. Tom Blanton, who heads the National Security Archive at George Washington University, says the investigation Feinstein directed made the intelligence community accountable. I think the Senate torture report was probably the high point of Senator Feinstein's entire Senate career. The election of Donald Trump in 2016 put Feinstein's brand of bipartisanship out of step with her own party. Democrats who hoped Feinstein would step aside for a new generation of candidates were disappointed, even angry, when she sought and won another six-year term in 2018 at the age of 85. In the fifth year of her final term in office, a serious bout of shingles forced Feinstein to miss nearly 100 votes while she recovered at home in San Francisco. When she returned to Washington almost three months later, she appeared even more frail with lingering side effects from shingles that limited her ability to work. Former aide Jim Lazarus believes her reasons for staying in office rather than enjoying retirement were intensely personal. I just don't think she could see what else to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. She felt, you know, well enough and alert enough and strong enough to serve. There is still more than a year left on Feinstein's six-year Senate term, leaving Governor Gavin Newsom with a decision. He could call a special election to fill out the remainder of her term or name someone to fill the seat in the meantime. Two years ago, after naming Alex Padilla to take Kamala Harris's Senate seat when she became vice president, Newsom said he would appoint a black woman if Feinstein's seat opened up early. But he said more recently he would only name a caretaker, not someone who would run for the job. There's already a vigorous campaign underway for Feinstein's Senate seat and a primary election set for March on Super Tuesday. Three Democratic members of Congress, Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, and Barbara Lee, are vying for that seat. Supporters of Lee, who is black, want Newsom to appoint her, but Newsom said he doesn't want to preempt the voters by giving her or anyone else a leg up. Feinstein's most enduring legacy may be opening more doors for women in politics. Malia Cohen, who served on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors before winning statewide office, remembers meeting Feinstein at City Hall on a third-grade field trip, where Feinstein told her class one of them could be mayor one day. I believe that I'm standing on her shoulders, and I wouldn't be here without her leadership. While some Democrats felt Dianne Feinstein was too moderate and stayed in office too long, she'll be remembered as a woman who led her city through a moment of extraordinary grief and became an effective champion for important national issues in the U.S. Senate. For NPR News, I'm Scott Schaefer in San Francisco. Today, a man was charged with murder in a killing that took place nearly 30 years ago, a shooting that transformed the music world and became a defining moment in hip-hop. Clark County Sheriff Kevin McMahill announced the charges at a press conference in Las Vegas. 27 years. For 27 years, the family of Tupac Shakur has been waiting for justice. We are here today to announce the arrest of 60-year-old Dwayne Keith Davis, a.k.a. Keefe D., for the murder of Tupac Shakur. Prosecutors said Davis had been on their radar for years, but they didn't have the evidence to charge him with murder until now. Well, I know there's been many people who did not believe that the murder of Tupac Shakur 
was important to this police department. I'm here to tell you that was simply not the case. It was not the case back then, and it is not the case today. Tupac released his first album in 1991. His death at age 25 only heightened his legend. And today, he is one of the towering icons of hip-hop. This is NPR News. WBUR supporters include La Cuchara Cafe in Melrose, Modern Latin American Fair, drop-off lunch service for celebrating Spanish Heritage Month in Greater Boston, lacuchara.com, and Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.gov. WBUR has reliable support all year long thanks to our monthly sustaining members. If you're a WBUR sustainer and you received a new credit card recently, please take a moment to update your information to keep WBUR strong. Make your update at wbur.org update or call 1-800-909-9287. You are listening to 90.9 WBUR. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this afternoon with Candace Springer. She's the assistant director of WBUR City Space. And we're taking just a couple of minutes to remind you that it's our fall fundraiser and to encourage you to take some of uh, Deepa's advice there and become a sustaining member to WBUR because this is the goal of this fall fundraiser. We're looking to get 2,500 new sustaining members. We want to know that we can count on you. You count on us to bring you the news. We're following all of this wrangling and the potential government shutdown, which happened, which could happen uh, by the end of the day tomorrow. We've got a story coming up about how funding for the WIC program, Women, Infants, and Children program in particular, uh, might be affected by a government shutdown. It's all part of what we bring you every day here. It's all part of our coverage. You count on us to be here for you. We're counting on you to do your part, make a pledge, and please become a sustaining member of WBUR today. Yeah, we're doing everything that we can, as Deb said, to foster understanding of what's going on and the most important issues to you. But we face some challenges at WBUR, you know, growing into the digital media age and sustaining our newsroom as others dwindle and collapse, you know, comes at a huge and constant expense. So the solution is actually pretty easy um, if you support us. And we're looking for 2,500 monthly contributors to step up and help sustain WBUR. You can do that by going to WBUR.org or calling 1-800-909-9287. That's right. It does cost money to evolve and to really stay relevant in this new media landscape. We do have a terrific website team that helps use our radio stories uh, and convert them online as well as for audio, uh, the WBUR app, all of the ways that we can better deliver content to you. That's what we're doing. That's what your money goes toward. And that's what we're asking you to make a pledge for today. And we have uh, a really important thing to say, too. It's really important (laughs) to me because I am a fan of Otto Lange. And if you are a fan of the celebrated chef Otto Lange. We have a terrific sweepstakes going on during this fall fundraiser, but your chance to win ends at 7 o'clock tonight, so you've got just over two hours to get involved. Get your name in on this because here's the deal. If you win, it's a five-day, four-night trip to London, accommodations included, round-trip airfare included, and gift cards to eat at Otto Lange restaurants. He's a, a really celebrated chef. I think seven 
Times, won the New York Times Best Cookbook. NPR has uh, given him the award for Best Cookbook. I think it was last year. So he he really is an amazing chef. And you will be able to go not only to London, which is just such an amazing world-class city, but you will also be able to eat at the terrific Otto Lange restaurants as well. So get in on that sweepstakes. You only have until 7 o'clock tonight. And here's the number. It's one 800 909 And the website where you can pledge and enter the sweepstakes is WBUR.org. And best of all, you're going to be supporting WBUR, and you're going to be sustaining all of the news you hear on air, what you read online, your podcasts, even those events at City Space that I love to put together for y'all. So definitely think about becoming a monthly sustainer today. And, you know, sometimes people ask, where does my money really go? Let's listen to an example of where your money goes when you support WBUR. Miriam Wasser brought you a series of reports on so-called competitive electricity suppliers. In Massachusetts, about a half million households pay more for electricity than they need to because they get their power from so-called competitive suppliers. These are the companies that often go door-to-door with false promises of cheaper energy bills. For a series I did about this industry, I spoke with a woman named Noemi Rodriguez. A few years ago, two men came to her apartment in East Boston. They said they were with the city and that they could get her cheaper power. I thought this was going to benefit me. I was so ignorant. Her electric bills were lower at first, but then they shot up. Some months, she was paying three times more for electricity than she needed to. I would pay it because I assumed something had gone up. And the worst part? She didn't even know she had a competitive supplier. Stories like this are quite common. Between 2015 and 2021, Massachusetts residents lost over a half billion dollars to this industry. And the people most likely to overpay are low-income residents, older adults, people who don't speak English fluently, people with intellectual disabilities, and college students. After the series published, I heard from listeners and readers all over the state, some who had actually fallen prey to this industry themselves or who knew people who did. A lot of people told me they really appreciated the guide we put together to help you figure out if you have a competitive supplier, because it's really not always easy to tell. Some of the stories we tell at WBUR take a long time to report and investigate, but they unravel complicated issues and expose inequalities. And I think it's part of what makes WBUR so important to our community. So that's just an example of what listener support makes possible on WBUR. And we're asking for your monthly financial support to keep us strong. You know, we feel so fortunate because we are able to do in-depth series like the one that Miriam Wasser did. We are able to do investigations. Our investigation team just did a terrific investigation about the number of public housing units that are vacant, not only for a short period of time, but some for years. And the, and the state has actually taken action based on that investigative reporting. It's solid, independent, local journalism. We're doing it for you. We're asking you to help pay for it today during this fall fundraiser. Become a sustaining member. If you can do $12 a month, we'll send you, as our thanks, the Otto Lange Extra Good Things Cookbook, and you get involved, or you get enrolled, rather, in our sweepstakes to win a trip to London that includes round-trip airfare, accommodations, and gift cards to eat at Otto Lange restaurants. Could be yours, but you only have until 7 to get in on that sweepstakes. So call now, 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. Thanks.
Support for NPR comes from the station and from Bank of America, offering access to resources and digital tools designed to help local to global companies make moves for their businesses. Learn more at bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at alignprobiotics.com. And from listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. As the threat of a government shutdown looms, more than 600 organizations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, are urging Congress to protect a nutrition assistance program that helps new parents access healthy foods. NPR's Allison Aubrey reports. For decades, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have supported WIC a food assistance program for women with infants and children. Sarah Manazra, who lives in Brooklyn, was referred to the program about five years ago when she was pregnant with her daughter. I was struggling a lot financially. I had trouble finding a good job with benefits, and my spouse was just starting the immigration process, so we didn't have stable housing or stable income. Manazra says it was a pretty stressful time. So when she found out that she was eligible for breastfeeding support, nutrition counseling, and could receive free healthy foods specifically tailored to her family's needs, it was a huge relief. When you're pregnant and you just had a baby, that's the hardest time of our lives. It's the most vulnerable time of our lives. And this support is some of the only support we get. And, you know, it's it's literally a lifesaver. It's life-saving. What it meant for her family is that instead of relying too much on cheaper, shelf-stable foods, her WIC benefits covered the cost of high-protein items, such as eggs and tuna, as well as $50 a month to buy fresh produce. The big one really is fresh fruit. <laughs> fruit is extremely expensive, especially in New York. So having that cash benefit, it really lets us buy more to meet the needs of our growing kids. And that's that's been amazing. But this support could be at risk. For starters, if the federal government shuts down, Nell Menefee-Leiby of the National WIC Association says WIC benefits could be disrupted. If the government shuts down, WIC would be put in a pretty tight spot pretty quickly. State WIC agencies will do everything they can to keep the lights on and the doors open, but obviously that is a very short-term solution. In addition to a potential shutdown, there's a longer-term challenge, too. As more new parents have enrolled, Manaphee Leiby says Congress needs to allocate enough to cover all eligible recipients. But some lawmakers have proposed a cut to benefits. House Republicans have actually proposed slashing WIC's fruit and vegetable benefits. Um, by 56% for kids participating in the program. Which she says would upend more than two decades of bipartisan support. Stacey Dean is the Deputy Undersecretary for Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Every administration, every Congress, regardless of which party was in charge, has ensured that this program had adequate funding to serve all eligible moms and babies. The cuts on the table are unprecedented, says Menifee Leiby, and she points to evidence showing the program works. We have documented evidence that it leads to better pregnancy outcomes, lower likelihood of early delivery and low birth weight, lower rates of childhood obesity. And based on this track record, she hopes Congress will maintain funding to serve all of the nearly 7 million participants they expect next year in 2024. Alison Aubrey, 
NPR News. WBUR supporters include Northeastern University's Institute for Experiential AI, announcing an AI event October 18th at Northeastern. Leading with AI responsibly explores innovative strategies companies like Google, Fidelity, and Intuit use to transform their business with AI. Tickets at ai.northeastern.edu. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this afternoon with Candace Springer, who's assistant director of WBUR City Space. And we're here to take a moment to tell you, to ask you, really, to tell you about our fall fundraiser, but to ask you to please become a member to WBUR and please become a sustaining member to WBUR because when you guarantee a monthly contribution, it helps us know how to budget to cover the news for you. And just think of the stories today alone. Uh, we are remembering California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's died at the age of 90. We are covering the government shutdown. We are covering the now expanded strike by the United Autos, Auto Workers Union. We're doing all of this for you, and it's what we do every day. We're asking you, though, today, during this fall fundraiser, help us by paying your bill for your public radio listening and becoming a sustaining member to WBUR. Here's how you do it. You call one 800 909-9287 and you can make your pledge there or you can do it online at WBUR.org. And now is a really good time to start your monthly gift because we have two really awesome ways to say thank you. If you yeah. can give us a gift of $12 a month or more, we're going to send you Yotam Adelangi's new cookbook, Extra Good Things, as a thank you. And you'll be entered in our sweepstakes to win a trip to London, five days, four nights, to go to four Autolenghi restaurants. I mean, this man puts the magic in vegetables. He will be making your palate sing. So you definitely want to get on that and support us monthly at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. It's important for me to be a WBUR member because it doesn't seem right that I would be getting all of this information, all of this news, and find joy in some of the other programs if I wasn't paying for it and I wasn't supporting it. It's a nice opportunity to participate in the programming and the ideas that the station promotes. I think we all get to say something with our money, even if we give modest amounts. With that money, we make something happen. Your modest monthly gift will make a meaningful difference. Give monthly at WBUR.org. What will you say with your money? Will it be that, yes, I'm supporting quality, independent, local journalism at a time when local journalism is under threat? Well, we hope so. And you can do that by becoming a sustaining member of WBUR during this fall fundraiser. Call now, 1-800-909-9287. Pledge online at WBUR.org. And now you've got two hours left to get in on our sweepstakes. It's a trip to London. The clock is ticking. Mm. Seven o'clock. We have to end the sweepstakes. And this trip is absolutely glorious. Five days and four nights in London. You're going to get your round trip airfare and accommodation, reservations and gift cards to eat at four of Yotam Otolenghi's renowned restaurants valued at $7,000. I want this trip, really. Mm. <laughs> you know, Deb and I have been talking about how we both went to London recently and we fell in love with it. There's so much to do. And you can go by supporting us monthly by by calling 1-800-909-9287 
or going to WBUR.org. Yes, do it now. Do it as soon as you can. Become a sustaining member to WBUR, but do it in the next two hours so you can get in on that sweepstakes. Remember, $12 a month. If you can, That's $3 a week, folks, for your public radio listening. We'll send you as our thanks a copy of the Extra Good Things Cookbook by Otto Lange, but you get entered in the drawing to win a trip to London and gift cards to Otto Lange restaurants. So make your pledge now, one 800 909 wbur.org and thanks support for npr comes from this station and from united airlines on a mission to do good in the air and committed to achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 learn more at united.com from the lodestar foundation inspired by the principle that helping someone else less fortunate is a path to a happier healthier and more meaningful life Learn more at lodestarfoundation.org. From Fisher Investments, as a fiduciary, Fisher Investments is obligated to act in their client's best interest. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. And from the William T. Grant Foundation, supporting research to improve the lives of young people at wtgrantfdn.org. I'm healthcare reporter Martha Biebinger, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Ahead of a looming government shutdown, President Biden today blasted a subset of House Republicans for not funding the government. As NPR's Asma Khalid reports, he described the situation as, quote, a disgrace. The president specifically spoke about the potential impact on the nation's military. Some 1.3 million active duty troops will go without paychecks if the government shuts down this weekend. Can't be playing politics while our troops stand in the breach. It's an absolute dereliction of duty. The White House is blaming House Republicans for this possible shutdown. It points out the president signed a bipartisan deal months ago to fund the government, but GOP hardliners in the House have reneged on that deal. Asma Khalid, NPR News, the White House. Tributes are pouring in from both sides of the aisle for California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has died at the age of 90. Proceedings on the floor of the House and Senate were paused in remembrance, and white roses were placed on her desk in the Senate chamber. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The trailblazing of the first woman elected mayor, even coming from a different party, inspired women from both sides of the aisle to seek elected office and to have their voices heard. He, too, is from California. Feinstein returned to the Senate in May using a wheelchair after being gone for two months as she dealt with shingles. She faced many calls to resign over worries about her memory, and while she resisted those calls, she said she would retire at the end of her term in January of 2025. Flags at the U.S. Capitol and at city buildings in Los Angeles were lowered to half-staff. Ukrainian government is hosting a forum with international military contractors today as Ukraine seeks to set up the construction and repair of weapons. NPR's Joanna Kakissis reports from Kyiv, arms production has slowed since the end of the Cold War and Western allies are struggling to meet commitments to Ukraine. 
The forum was held at an undisclosed location in the capital, Kyiv, and included representatives from 165 defense companies and at least 26 nations. Ukraine's Foreign Minister Dmytro Kuleba mentioned the defense industry's forum on social media earlier this week, saying that he hopes it will boost co-production of weapons and ammunition and strengthen cooperation with Ukraine's allies. The forum opened a day after visits to Kyiv by the defense ministers of the UK and France, as well as NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. They did not attend the forum, but Stoltenberg on Thursday welcomed ways to ramp up arms production. Joanna Kakissis, NPR News, Kyiv. Wall Street ended the day in mixed territory as investors worry about a possible government shutdown. The Dow was down 158 points, the Nasdaq up 18. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good afternoon. I'm Deborah Becker. Massachusetts Congresswoman Catherine Clark says Republican infighting is to blame for a federal government shutdown that's expected to take place this weekend. Several attempts in the House to pass a funding bill have failed. Republicans say they want deeper spending cuts. Clark says a government shutdown in 2018 cost the nation about $11 billion in economic output. The state's awarding the town of Walpole a three $100,000 grant to help restore a Superfund site. The money will be used to restore groundwater resources. In the early 1900s, the site was used to manufacture tires, rubber goods, and insulating materials. The Steamship Authority is already canceling some of its ferry service this weekend. Staffing levels this time are to blame. The authority says its ferry, Katama, will not make the scheduled trips between Woods Hole and Martha's Vineyard from 11 a.m. Saturday through 10 a.m. on Sunday. The time is five minutes past five. WBUR supporters include the Doris Duke Foundation, which aims to support the well-being of people and the planet for a more creative, equitable, and sustainable future. In our forecast, rain tonight, temperatures in the 50s. Tomorrow, lingering showers in the morning, clouds in the afternoon, highs in the 60s. Sunshine and uh, Sunday and Monday, and temperatures both days around 70 degrees. It's 56 degrees in Boston. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by McLean Hospital. For expert research-based psychiatric care, turn to McLean. Leading clinicians treating depression, anxiety, addiction, and more. Innovative care from specialists dedicated to improving lives. U.S. News ranks McLean number one for psychiatric care in the country. More at McLeanHospital.org. I'm Tiziana Deering. Local journalism has disappeared from communities across America. Research from Harvard shows the erosion of local journalism has contributed to the deterioration of civic engagement in affected communities. Boston is fortunate to have robust local journalism, but we can't take it for granted. Start a monthly contribution to WBUR to keep our local journalism strong. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And call now or go to WBUR.org now and make that pledge because we're, we're right about in the middle of this fall fundraiser. And we have an amazing sweepstakes that ends at 7 o'clock tonight. So you want to get in on the sweepstakes, but you also want to make sure that you are doing your part during this fall fundraiser to say, yes, I support the journalism on WBUR. I know that I count on the story. I know that I read them online. I listen. I listen to the podcast.
podcasts. I am taking advantage of all of this. I am attending the events at City Space. I am doing everything I can to become part of the WBUR community. So how about becoming a sustaining member during this fall fundraiser so we'll know that we can count on you each month for whatever amount you think is appropriate for you, and we'll have the resources we need to serve you with all of these types of news and information. Here's the number again. It's 800-909-9287. I'm Deborah Becker, and with me in the studio this afternoon is Candace Springer, who's the assistant director of WBUR City Space. Hi, Candace. Hello. Yeah, our fundraising goal for this uh, fundraiser is ambitious. 2,500 listeners to become monthly contributors, but we know we can do it because we know that you understand that your monthly contribution will go a long way toward keeping our journalism strong for you and for our entire community. Ongoing monthly contributions provide the funding that we need to bring you the stories and conversations that you count on. And we also have really good special gifts to reward you for that, right, Deb? Absolutely. (laughs) So here's the deal. We have a sweepstakes and we're hoping that uh, you'll be able to take advantage of this because it ends at seven o'clock tonight. So if you're driving, pull over because don't do <laughs> yes, it when you're don't driving. Do this while you're driving. And call now or make that pledge online now so you can get in on the sweepstakes. And here's what you might win. Someone's going to win this, but again, you only have until seven o'clock. It is a a five-day, four-night trip to London, a wonderful city, great to go. You choose the time, but you get your round-trip airfare, your accommodations, and you get gift cards to eat at the restaurants of famous chef Yotam Adolenghi. You may know him from his columns in The Guardian or his writing in The New York Times or perhaps his many, many cookbooks. And if you uh, have become an aficionado, because many people are super fans of Adolenghi, they they call it now autolangifying uh, different <laughs> kinds of dishes and his adventurous use of spices and herbs and the way he puts the creative way that he puts things together. If you've become a fan, you can try his dishes firsthand in London because you can't do that anywhere else. The only autolangy restaurants are in London. We'll give you the gift cards. We'll give you the trip. A lucky listener is going to win it, but only if that lucky listener pledges by 7 o'clock tonight. And best of all, you'll be supporting WBUR, and you know that we're here to bring you the news of the moment and to tell you the stories you're not hearing anywhere else. Like, for example, you know about the uncertainty of our economy because you hear about it on WBUR, and that uncertainty affects us, too. Here's our CEO, Margaret Lowe. We have tens of thousands of supportive listeners, members, people who tell us that we're their lifeline, that even on the hardest news days, we remind them of their humanity. But the truth is... It's gotten harder and harder to find new members, and that scares us. I mean, it definitely keeps me up at night. Stations across the country are experiencing the same decline in the number of donors at a time when we know trustworthy information is so crucial to our collective well-being. So my hope is that our listeners can help us buck this trend. We know that many of you listening spend more time with WBUR than you do with some of the people you love most. We also know that there are so many good causes to support, but if we matter in your life at all, if you can't imagine a day or a week without WBUR and NPR, we'd love to hear from you. 
So please give as generously as you can. We're looking for 2,500 new monthly contributors. You can just go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And if you can become a monthly sustainer with, say, $12 a month, we also, not only will you get enrolled in this wonderful sweepstakes, we will also send you a little thank you gift, which is the Ottolenghi Cookbook Extra Good Things. Amazing recipes. You'll get the cookbook. Again, it's $12 a month, but you also get your name put into our sweepstakes to win a trip for two to London with Ottolenghi gift cards. So you will actually be able to eat the food that you've probably been cooking at home. <laughs> Maybe even doing the Instagram cooking challenges. How's that going? Well, you can see how he cooks firsthand by going to London and doing it yourself if you win. But this the chance to enter the sweepstakes is over at 7 o'clock. So call now, 1-800-909-9287 or pledge online at WBUR.org. Thanks. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by the Museum of Science, featuring Arctic Adventure, an immersive Arctic world exploration with technology as your guide. Tickets at MOS.org. And Comcast Business, providing businesses with cyber threat security designed to keep devices protected. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. And I'm Ari Shapiro in Washington, where people are remembering the longest-serving woman in the U.S. Senate. California Democrat Dianne Feinstein has died at the age of 90. Beginning in the 1960s, she took on roles that had previously been held by men, from mayor of San Francisco to chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Her good friend Jane Harmon was the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. She was also one of the last people to visit Feinstein yesterday before the senator's death. Congresswoman Harmon, thank you for joining us, and I am sorry for your loss. Well, I'm sorry for all of our losses, especially California's loss. Hmm. I do want to talk about Senator Feinstein's professional legacy, but can you begin by telling us a personal memory that you've been thinking about today? I'm thinking how lucky I was that... On a whim, basically, I decided that I I wanted to go and say hello to her yesterday. I arrived at four. Uh, she was there looking absolutely beautiful, frail, but beautiful. Some of the press commentary notwithstanding, she was vital to the end. Hmm. She knew why she wanted to stay in Congress. It was to fight for California. And she knew she brought experience, and she would never use this word, but I will, fearlessness to the task. If I could ask you to look back on the decades that you both served the state of California in Congress, you in the House and she in the Senate, what did you learn from her? Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) We were both elected to Congress in 1992, the so-called Year of the Woman, when California and I think one other state elected two women senators, Barbara Boxer being the other, and a number of new House members. Certainly a memory that that is important uh, was her leadership on the assault weapons ban, Mm. uh, which came up for a vote in 1994. And there was never an issue in my mind that I would support it, even though I, like her, was in a fairly politically precarious position. Uh, And I almost lost re-election in 94 because of that vote. Her work on the assault weapons ban that was signed into law in 1994 will be one of the most remembered parts of her legacy. And there was a moment in the debate over that bill when Republican Senator Larry Craig of Idaho suggested that she didn't know about guns. And this is what she said. 
I am quite familiar with firearms. I became mayor as a product of assassination. I'm aware of I that. I found my assassinated colleague and put a finger through a bullet hole. Yeah. I proposed gun control legislation in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I went through a recall on the basis of it. I was trained in the shooting of a firearm when I had terrorist ha attacks with a bomb at my house when my husband was dying, when I had windows shot out. Mm -hmm. Senator, I know something about what firearms can do. Jane Harmon, what comes to mind when you hear that? Ah, <laughs> right on, Diane. Good God. <laughs> the thought that some guy, just because he's a guy from a Midwest state, knows about guns, and some woman who was an absolute courageous, fearless champion uh, for her city after the devastation from firearms, uh, it boggles the mind. That was vintage Diane. Let me ask you about her work on national security, because she started serving on the Senate Intelligence Committee in 2001 and eventually became chair. And I can remember after 9-11 covering hearings with Bush administration officials where she was ferocious in asking tough questions about torture, surveillance, and other abuses. What do you think her legacy will be in the field of intelligence and national security? Well, I think it will be huge. That was a sorry chapter in the early Bush administration. They violated the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. They violated the Geneva Conventions. And America has a big black eye from that. And Diane did the investigation. And in the end, uh, the Republicans on the committee didn't want to release it, although they were part of it. She will be remembered as a giant uh, who was not afraid to say what was good, but also uh, highlight what was bad about things our country did in the recent past. Is there anything else that you would like younger people and future generations to know about her and her legacy? I really would. I don't think we saw anyone like her before her. I think we have seen some since her. Uh, but at any rate, I think the younger generation will one day think of her in the way that they think of some of the very courageous women in other fields like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's what I think. Jane Harmon, former top Democrat of the House Intelligence Committee, now board chair at Freedom House. Thank you for remembering your friend, Senator Dianne Feinstein, with us. Thank you, Ari. Well, another Friday brings another expansion of the United Auto Workers strike against the big three American car companies. About 7,000 more people walked off their jobs at noon Eastern today. UAW President Sean Fain announced the move. We gave up a lot and the companies were in trouble, but now they're doing incredibly well. And guess what? We should be doing incredibly well, too. Fain was referring there to concessions his union made during the global financial crisis about 15 years ago. In 2009, the U.S. government bailed out struggling auto companies and forced GM and Chrysler to restructure. The UAW accepted more concessions in that negotiation. The lead advisor for the Obama administration then, known in the press as the car czar, was Stephen Ratner. In a New York Times op-ed, he argues that he would like to see auto workers paid more, but currently the UAW is, quote, overplaying its hand. Stephen Ratner joins us now to explain why. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just start right there. What do you mean by overplaying their hand? How can you see this all backfiring on the unions? Look, it's normal in negotiations for the party that's trying to get something to ask for more than they expect to get or could possibly get. That's all totally normal. The list of things that the UAW has asked for go beyond anything that corresponds to reality today 
for better or worse. For example, they've asked for a 32-hour week, in other words, to work four days and get paid for five. They've asked, they started with 40% wage increases. I think they're down to maybe around 30 or 35 at the moment, and, and that's a, a, a fair place to be bargaining. But they've also asked, for example, to have the old-style defined benefit pension plans that very few employers offer to new workers anymore restored and so on and so forth. So, and tell us why those demands are unrealistic. You have to put the let's put the whole thing in context. Mm-hmm. GM and Ford and Chrysler, as your intro pointed out, as Sean Fain pointed out, are doing quite well at the moment. They have cash. They have the ability to pay them more, but they also have to compete against other companies. And in the South, you have companies like Toyota and Honda that don't have unions at all. In Mexico. You have workers making literally 9 or $10 a day and very productive, according to what auto executives tell me. And so if the Detroit companies have an excessively high burden of wage costs or fringe benefit costs, then they can't compete. They lose car sales. Ultimately, the workers lose jobs, and the jobs move to these other places. But I do want to raise—I do want to raise a point that the unions are hammering away at, and it's a point that you concede in this op-ed, and that is the vast disparity in compensation between auto workers and senior executives. You even point out, back in 1978, the pay for the CEO of GM was about 60 times the auto industry's average pay, and now it's 400 times. So, to be clear, you do think that gap should be narrowed, right? I think that gap is unconscionable. And it exists not, these companies are not outliers. This is the trend that we see all across American business. It's not something you see when you go and look at European pay structures between CEOs and workers. It's a very uniquely American phenomenon, and it's unconscionable. But you can narrow that gap two ways. You can bring the workers up, or you can bring the CEOs down. Mm -hmm. And in effect, I'm proposing a combination of both. It's not a question of aggregate dollars. There's no amount of compensation that in dollars that you can take away from these C-suite executives and create a pool of money that will then can then make a meaningful difference to workers, just given the number of workers there are relative to the number of CEOs and CFOs and so forth. But I think it's very important symbolically that there be fairness here, and there's not fairness at the moment. I would absolutely concede that. Also, because you managed the 2009 auto industry deals, You have seen these automakers' financial records. Tell our listeners how substantial of an expense is labor in the overall budgets for these auto companies. Labor is a relatively small portion of the costs. Uh, Some people put it at 5%. I would concede it's a relatively small portion of costs, Mm -hmm. but you got to put that in the context of companies that have relatively thin profit margins. And every dollar of costs makes their job tougher for the companies. So... I do hear you. At the same time that you are saying auto workers deserve significantly higher pay, you are also saying that they are currently asking for too much. And can I just step back and ask you, have you considered that auto workers are hearing that message from you, particularly a person who not only asked them to make significant concessions back in 2009, but also someone who is personally quite wealthy? Look, I, I understand that not everybody wants to hear this from me. I think I think it, I think it's I think it's my job, as someone who has been involved in this industry, to speak my mind. And I've also said, and I'll continue to say, I think the companies started out offering too little. Look, if, if the companies had come in and said we want to take away some of your fringe benefits, you'd hear me speaking just as forcefully and saying that I think that that's wrong because the companies are doing well enough to be able to give a pay increase. They're just not well enough to dial the clock back to, I don't know, the 1960s in terms of 
how these kinds, some of these kinds of fringe benefits used to work, but don't work at all anymore for almost anywhere in American industry. This is just the world we're living in today. Stephen Ratner, investor and former lead advisor to the Presidential Task Force on the Auto Industry. Good talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. And this is 90.9 WBUR. On Wall Street, the Dow was down 158 points today. The S&P dropped 11. The NASDAQ was up 18 points. Marketplace will have all the day's business news at 630. It's 523. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Babson College. Explore Babson College programs at their virtual open house on October 4th and 5th. Register at babson.edu slash open house. And Boston Ballet's Fall Experience featuring four dynamic ballets on stage October 5th to the 15th. Tickets at bostonballet.org. In our forecast, rain tonight, temperatures only in the 50s. Tomorrow, some showers in the morning, clouds the rest of the day, highs in the 60s. And sunshine on Sunday with temperatures near 70 degrees. It is 55 degrees in Boston. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Cambridge Science Festival, Boston Fashion Week, Illuminous, and Stiggity Stacks, a one-night-only future fashion experience tomorrow, September 30th, in Kendall Square. And Brookline Bank, where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at brooklinebank.com. Member FDIC. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Many of our listeners tell us WBUR is essential in their lives. They say WBUR makes the world a better and more informed place. We're the news source they trust most. We want to be here for the long term, but our future isn't guaranteed. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. Help get us to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. And do it now, because when you make a contribution to WBUR in the next hour and a half or so, actually hour and 35 minutes, you will be enrolled in our sweepstakes uh, to win a trip to London. So the sweepstakes ends at 7 o'clock tonight. You've got an hour and 35 minutes left, and it's really a terrific gift because someone is going to win a trip for two to London, five days and four nights. And not only is it your round-trip airfare and your accommodation, but it's also gift cards to eat at the restaurant of famed chef Yotam Adolenghi. And he is a very famous chef. He's been writing in The Guardian for years. He writes in The New York Times. He's got several cookbooks. And you'll be able to eat at his restaurants in London, the only place in the world where his restaurants are. So if you've been a fan, if you've been perhaps doing his Instagram cooking contests or trying out the recipes in his famous cookbooks or from his famous columns, here you go. Here's your opportunity 
opportunity to try out those recipes as cooked as they were intended, <laughs> and you'll be able to enjoy the City of London at the same time. It's a wonderful sweepstakes, but you only have an hour and a half left to get your name in on that, and perhaps you will be the lucky listener who gets to go. 1-800-909-9287. The website's WBUR.org. Our fundraising goal is two thousand five hundred listeners to become monthly contributors to WBUR. And we're asking for your monthly contribution because it will go a long way towards keeping our journalism strong for you and for our entire community. You know, WBUR, at WBUR, we replace the noise with the facts, with clarity and with meaningful context. And we can't do that without you. Please give back to us. Make a modest contribution by giving 10 dollars a month or maybe $12 a month. And you can do that at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. You know, here and now, co-host Robin Young actually talked with us about what what's at the heart of reporting and storytelling for you from WBUR. Well, I think we've seen in the past few years why public radio matters so much. I mean, call us kind of nerdy, but we have a dedication to fact-checking, to the truth, to hearing all voices, to making sure that we amplify voices that aren't getting heard with a lot of the bombast that's coming at us. There are things that you hear on public radio with the way the broadcast landscape has changed that you just don't hear in many other places. So I, I think people have come to really feel the value of public radio. This is the journalism that we're asking you to support. Our listeners who give provide the biggest share of our funding year round. So we're asking you to join them with a monthly, monthly contribution. And we've got some really special gifts on the table to thank you if you give that contribution. Right, Deb? That's right. For $12 a month, if you become a monthly sustainer at $12 a month, we'll send you as our thanks the Extra Good Things Cookbook by Otto Lenke. And again, you would get your name entered in the sweepstakes to perhaps win that trip to London, five days, four nights, and gift cards to eat at Otto Lange restaurants. But I want to go back to something uh, that Robin just said. You know, uh, uh, she talked about, you know, cutting through all of the misinformation and the bombast, if you will, to bring you clarity about the issues of the day. And that's what we try really hard to do here at WBUR. And I've been here for a while, and I can say it is harder than ever to do that. There are some sophisticated uh, sources at work that would prefer that we not do that, that we that would prefer if we took their slant uh, of the world and gave you that wholesale. But we try uh, really hard not to do that. And as I said, I think it's more difficult than ever. If you know that and you appreciate that, that's really what you're pledging for today. You're pledging for independent journalism. You're pledging for the different voices and the different perspectives that we respect here at WBUR. And we work hard to bring you every day. Make a pledge for that right now. Become a monthly sustaining member to WBUR. Pay your public radio bill, if you will. Let us know that we can count on you every month for whatever amount is appropriate for you. Here's the number, 1-800-909-9287, or go to WBUR.org. Thanks so much. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative dedicated to providing ethically sourced food from small organic family farms across the country. Learn more at ov.coop slash ethically sourced. 
and from Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end -end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates, all from one platform. Learn more at Indeed.com NPR. This is NPR. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. Friends and colleagues are expressing their admiration and respect for longtime California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who died overnight at the age of 90. Feinstein was the longest-serving woman in the U.S. Senate and leaves behind a legacy that focused on some of the nation's top issues, including gun control, reproductive rights, and environmental protection. President Biden called her a true trailblazer in American politics. She was a historic figure, trailblazer for women, and a great friend. Diane made her mark on everything from national security to the environment, to gun safety, to protecting civil liberties. The country's going to miss her dearly, and so will Jill and I. Her death comes in the midst of a turbulent week on Capitol Hill, with Congress on the verge of a partial government shutdown. Feinstein had been suffering from serious health challenges in recent years and returned to the Senate back in May after a prolonged absence due to shingles and additional side effects. The White House says more than 270 projects in Florida could be delayed if the government shuts down this weekend as House Republicans remain at an impasse over a spending bill. Lynn Hatter of member station WFSU has more. Florida Emergency Management Director Kevin Guthrie says the state has more than $500 million worth of reimbursement and matching funding requests waiting on FEMA approval. Every open disaster in the state of Florida, which right now is, I believe, 28 open disasters, will be impacted by the disaster relief fund not being funded. Florida is still mopping up from last year's Hurricane Ian, which struck southwest Florida as a major hurricane. And North Florida is still reeling from Hurricane Edalia, which hit the state's Big Bend last month. For NPR News, I'm Lynn Hatter in Tallahassee. Stocks finished mixed on Wall Street. The Dow lost 158 points. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good afternoon. I'm Deborah Becker. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is remembering Senator Dianne Feinstein as a leader and a friend. On WBUR's Radio Boston today, Senator Warren said Feinstein was a trailblazer. She was strong on LGBTQ rights, fought hard for equal marriage. Um, she had, leaves a legacy that she should be proud of. Warren says she admired Feinstein's tenacity, especially on holding people accountable and, uh, and during the torture by the U.S. government after 9-11. Harvard is celebrating its new leader, Claudine Gay, as Harvard's 30th president and its first black president. She's also the second woman to lead the institution. In her inauguration address this afternoon, Gay thanked her parents, who were Haitian migrants. My dad, Sony Gay, is unmatched in his optimism and in his curiosity about people in the world. My mom, Claudette Gay, passed away earlier this year, but not before learning of my election and smiling broadly at the news. I wish very much that she were here, if only for the chance to hear her say, I told you so. 
Gay has been on the job since July. She began working at Harvard in 2006. The man shot by police in Lakeville this morning remains hospitalized. Lakeville Police Chief Matthew Perkins says the suspect approached an officer who was on traffic duty and displayed what appeared to be a gun. An off-duty state trooper was driving by and stopped to help. Perkins says the officer and trooper opened fire after the man refused to drop the gun and pointed it at the officers. The uh, gun that we have on the scene that was being pointed at the officer is possibly a replica gun. It's unknown if it is capable of firing any type of projectile. The officers were not hurt. In our weather forecast, rain tonight, possible thunderstorms, temperatures in the 50s. Looks like some rain tomorrow, mostly cloudy temperatures in the 60s and sunny on Sunday with highs near 70 degrees. It's 55 degrees in Boston. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Data IQ, a platform for everyday AI, dedicated to helping teams move beyond the lab to build generative AI applications at enterprise scale. D-A-T-A-I-K-U.com. From Procter & Gamble, maker of ZQuil Pure Z's gummies, designed with melatonin for occasional sleeplessness to help people fall asleep naturally. Learn more at zquill.com. And from the sustaining members of this NPR station. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. And I'm Ari Shapiro in Washington. Black holes can contain the mass of more than a billion suns concentrated into a single point in space. Scientists have come up with some beautiful math to describe the physics at play, but these monstrous enigmas still have a few things to teach us about the mysteries of our lives. Shortwave's scientist-in-residence Regina Barber has that story in just a few minutes. But first, the United Auto Workers' historic strike got bigger today. The union added new locations at Ford and GM, but not Stellantis. The announcement opened with this number. I can't even buy the same cars that I make on the salary I make. Come on now, give me a break. (laughs) And then Jake from State Farm entered the talk, so to speak. NPR's Camila Dominoski is here to bring us up to speed. Hey, Camila. Hi, Elsa. Okay, so what happened today? A lot. Um, Big news. The strikes expanded yet again. Ford's Chicago assembly plant and GM's Lansing Delta assembly plant are walking out. That's another 7,000 workers in addition to the workers already on strike. Right before this announcement came out, the UAW says moments before they got a deal offer from Stellantis that included Uh some big gains on cost of living guarantees, the right to strike over plant closures. So they pushed the announcement back by half an hour and there's still no deal with Stellantis, but there's not a strike expansion either. So after that sort of surprise move, this week around, GM and Ford are the ones in the hot seat. And what do we know about these plants that are seeing new strikes? Yeah, we're talking about assembly plants here that make SUVs, like the Ford Explorer, for example. Mm -hmm. What these plants are not, they are not the engine plants or plants like that that could really shut down the entire automotive supply chain. We're not talking about that. These also aren't the plants that make the giant full-size trucks that are the big money makers for these companies. So the union's keeping some options in their pocket for now. Okay. And and what is the tone of the talks right now? 
It's intense. You know, the UAW from the start has been really fiery. Today, President Sean Fain of the UAW was talking about the UAW as being the arsenal of democracy again, comparing it to World War II. But this war isn't against some foreign country. The front lines are right here at home. It's the war of the working class versus corporate greed. Stellantis, formerly known as Chrysler, was really critical of this rhetoric this week. They said, quote, the companies are not the enemy and we are not at war. Well, how close, Camila, do you think the two sides are to a deal at this moment? Honestly, Elsa, I have no idea. <laughs> and I've, I've thought about nothing else for two weeks, right? <laughs> but they say completely opposite things. Ford's CEO, Jim Farley, he told reporters this today. What's really frustrating is that I believe we could have reached a compromise on pay and benefits, but so far the UAW is holding the deal hostage over battery plants. And the idea that they could be close on pay and benefits, given how far apart they started, that's huge news. But then Sean Fain of the UAW an hour later comes out with a statement saying they're not that close, that there's still huge distance between them on the economics. Hmm. They had this whole back and forth. You know, Farley said that Fain was on TV more than Jake from State Farm, <laughs> the guy in that ad. Fain said in this statement, like a good neighbor, we're available 24-7 nice. to negotiate a contract. It's been a long two weeks. But <laughs> they just say very different things about what's actually happening at this table. So then what's coming next? Do you even know? Well, more talks for sure. More strikes, maybe. It's hard to say in part because this is not just about wages and benefits. There are all these other issues like the transition to electric vehicles, right? Everyone agrees yeah. more electric vehicles are coming. But the question of how exactly that affects jobs, how it affects the union, that's something to watch over the days and weeks ahead, whether the union and the companies can come to some kind of an agreement on that. And we will keep on watching with you. That is NPR's Camila Dominoski. Thank you so much, Camila. Thanks, Elsa. And now for our weekly dose of wonder, black holes. Astrophysicist and NPR's scientist-in-residence, Regina Barber, reports how these mysterious objects can hold the mass of millions of suns and also a few lessons that we humans can apply to everyday life. When I talk about black holes with anyone, I notice something. People love them, but they don't really get them. Priyamvada Natarajan is an astrophysicist who studies supermassive black holes. And she says maybe that's part of their appeal. Well, I mean, I see them as, you know, really beautiful places in the universe because they're so enigmatic. The more Natarajan talks about the science of black holes, the more I realized black holes are out there living their best lives. What can they teach us? Here's three things I learned from them. Lesson one. Don't be afraid to test your limits, even if other people doubt you. In 1915, Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. These were complex mathematical equations that described the interplay between matter and space-time. And Einstein explains what gravity is. It's kind of the interaction between space-time and matter. It was a revolutionary idea that the more massive something is, the more it alters the shape of space around it. It sounds simple, but mathematically speaking, there's just a lot of moving parts. So Einstein believed it would be extremely difficult to find solutions that weren't approximations or fuzzy answers. But soon after Einstein published this work, Carl Schwarzschild presented the first exact solution. And he did this partly by asking himself what a mass would do to space-time if it were squeezed into a single point. 
It sounds extreme, but checking these limits is a normal part of math and science. It's an exact solution of Einstein's equations. So it is actually the shape of space around a compact, like a point mass, like a really concentrated compact mass. And that's the black hole solution. And the story goes, Einstein was shocked by what the solution implied for the universe. That there could be an infinite point mass that was so powerful that light could not escape. And that the laws of physics would break down around it. So, Schwarzschild, by testing his limits and keeping an open mind, helped expand our understanding of what was really possible. Lesson two, don't judge someone by their reputation. Black holes are associated with gobbling up everything and destroying stars. But there are these supermassive black holes at the center of almost all galaxies, up to a billion times the mass of our sun. Those may help control the rates of which stars form within these galaxies. So we think that they fundamentally shape galaxies now. And yet, we don't see them for what they are. But that's all right, because that brings us to lesson three. Do your thing, and don't worry if anyone's watching. Humans weren't able to see an image of a black hole until 2019. You might remember the iconic photo of a black hole, with a glowing orange donut of gas and dust around it. That's as close as we can ever get to um, seeing a black hole, as it were. But... If a black hole exists and no one's around to directly observe it, does it still matter? Natarajan says, yes. Just because you are not seen, it doesn't mean that you are not there or that you are not, uh, you know, playing a very, very important role. You're an integral part of the cosmic ecosystem. And so next time you're feeling down about yourself, remember, somewhere out there, there's a black hole whipping a galaxy into shape or just doing its thing and not caring if anyone can see it. Regina Barber, NPR News. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Graduate School of Psychoanalysis. Earn your doctorate in psychoanalysis, better understand your clients, build your clinical skills, and advance your career in this psychoanalytic training program. Master's graduates from all disciplines welcome to apply, now accepting applications for spring. Learn more at bgsp.edu. I'm Daryl C. Murphy. The journalism you get from WBUR depends on a strong foundation of listener support. And that's why your monthly gift is crucial. Make a modest monthly contribution that will have deep meaning and a big impact every day. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. You're listening to 90.9 WBUR. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this afternoon with Jay Clayton. We're taking just a couple of minutes uh, to ask you to become a sustaining member of WBUR. It's our fall fundraiser, and we decided really what we want is to know that we can count on you. So we're counting on you to not just make a pledge, but to become a sustaining member and tell us you can give us a little bit every month to help pay for your public radio listening, to help pay for local journalism. You can 
can count on. Of course, uh, there's a lot of news today. We're, we're covering the death of Senator Dianne Feinstein. We've heard from members of the local congressional delegation about that. We're covering the potential uh, government shutdown. It's all here for you, the flooding in New York City. A lot going on today. You count on us to be there for you, not just on air, but also online. And we're doing that part. What we're asking you to do is your part today. Become a sustaining member of WBUR by calling 800-909-9287. We also have an amazing sweepstakes that's only going on for another hour and 15 minutes. Isn't that right, Jay? Yes, it is. It's a trip for two to London, and it's five days and four nights. It's valued at $7,000. It includes wonderful accommodations, round-trip airfare, and perhaps best of all, four of your meals. You'll be there for four days, four meals at Otto Lenghi's restaurants in London. These are world-famous restaurants. People travel from all over to get to them because they are only in London. Mm. So we want to send you right to the source and give you this treat. But we need to hear from you by 7 o'clock. Just about 90 minutes left to get in on this. So take two of those minutes and make the most of your contribution, a monthly contribution that will sustain WBUR so we can keep sustaining you. You see how that works. Mm. And when you do it before 7 o'clock, you'll get a chance to win that trip to London. Just go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And, you know, Jay, I have some recipes from Madalengi restaurants in front of me mind. here. Yeah, or, I mean, the menu. I have some of the dishes oh, that you can okay. get from Autolengi restaurants. These are the menus from some of the restaurants uh, in London. Listen to this. Cauliflower with burnt caraway butter, hazelnut cream, and pickled golden raisins. Uh, kimchi fritters, uh, roasted eggplant with feta cream, zatar, cherry tomatoes, and oregano. You're hungry now, right? Uh, cauliflower with lemongrass and cucumber. It really is just these bold flavors, adventurous cooking, very much focused on the vegetable, and it's cooking that you won't get anywhere else except Autolenghi restaurants. And you could try them out for yourself at his restaurants in London if you win this sweepstakes, which ends in just about an hour from now. You know, uh, we have a, a little bit of tape from an interview uh, that Otto Lenghi did on NPR uh, several years ago. Here he is talking with uh, NPR's Rachel Martin about sort of what inspires his cooking. Let's listen. There are all kinds of Mediterranean flavors in this book. And a lot of the recipes are quite exotic. One that stood out to me is something that wasn't so much, that it was something you could make up on a Tuesday night for no good reason, is the crushed, I never say this right, pui lentils? Yeah, pui lentils. Pui yeah, lentils that's, that's fine. With tahini and cumin, Yes, which it, are delicious ingredients. This is, just sounds like good comfort food. Yes, it is great comfort food. It's inspired by hummus, but not the hummus that you buy in a tub in a supermarket, but hummus as we eat it in Jerusalem and, Explain the and around the Middle East. Well, it's it's a night and day kind of difference. Um, when you buy a tub of cold hummus from the supermarket, normally it's slightly cold. Mm-hmm. It could be a bit bland and it's very uniform. The hummus that we have in Jerusalem is extremely popular around midday or, or, or late morning where it's a brunch dish served warm in a big plate with all kinds of condiments, raw onion, lots of olive oil drizzled on top, uh, some lemon juice, a hard-boiled egg. And it's it's a whole meal. It's a luscious, wonderful, warm meal that really is, until you had it, you kind of don't know what you're missing. 
You don't know what you're missing until you've eaten it at Otto Lange restaurants. You don't know what you're missing. And I think that's like a lot of his cooking. That was Chef Yota Matalangi talking with NPR's Rachel Martin. And it is uh, very different. Do you think hummus, do you think the tub of hummus that you got at the supermarket? Well, it's hummus, right? No, it's not. It's something very different. And that's what his cooking is. And that's what you'll have a chance to experience firsthand if you win this trip to London. But by the way, the sweepstakes for this trip ends at 7 o'clock tonight. You've got an hour and 10 minutes left. 800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Get in on that. Become a monthly contributor to WBUR. We're asking 2,500 listeners to step up and start monthly contributions because that's the key to sustaining a strong future, giving this service that you count on long-term financial stability, monthly gifts, those automatic gifts that continue for as long as you'd like them to and can do that, that will be the best way to help WBUR as we work to help you with all the journalism that you need to navigate the day and foster greater understanding of the world around you. That's what we do. We do it with listener support. So jump in, become a monthly contributor, get a shot at winning that trip to London. Again, that shot ends at 7 o'clock, a little over an hour from now. So make the most of your giving by getting in on that too. WBUR.org or 1-800-909-9287. a month and we'll send you the Otto Lange Extra Good Things Cookbook as our thanks. It's hard not to be distracted in this room when this cookbook is here. Can I just tell you, spiced lentil pancakes with mango salsa and coconut chutney. How about root vegetables with harissa chickpeas? Really wonderful, bold, adventurous ideas from Otto Lange. That cookbook is yours for your $12 a month contribution for the news. Become a sustainer to WBUR during this fall fundraiser. We're counting on you to help keep this quality source of independent journalism going. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thanks so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by The Huntington, presenting Fat Ham. The 2022 Pulitzer Prize winner reinvents Hamlet with a queer black twist. Join Juicy, the saucy protagonist, in a sharp, deliciously funny take on the Shakespeare classic. Fat Ham, playing now through October 29th at the Huntington Calderwood. HuntingtonTheater.org. This is All Things Considered. From NPR News, I'm Ari Shapiro. And I'm Elsa Chang. We turn now to Armenia, which continues to see refugees from the Nagorno-Karabakh region of Azerbaijan pour across the border. The ethnic Armenian enclave declared independence from Azerbaijan in the waning days of the Soviet Union and has been the scene of conflict ever since. An attack by Azerbaijani forces earlier this month led to the capitulation of the Nagorno-Karabakh government and the exit of most of the enclave's Armenian population. NPR's Peter Kenyon is now in the Armenian capital of Yerevan and joins us now. Hi, Peter. Hi, Elsa. So what are you seeing and hearing there? What are people saying? Well, many people are unhappy with the government's handling of this whole situation. Uh, Some people are saying they feel abandoned. Things, though, have gotten a bit quieter recently. There were these mass demonstrations here in Yerevan. Now things are sort of quieting down in in the last couple of days. Revolutionary Square uh, was busy tonight, but not anything like a demonstration, uh, except for one very small group calling for universal peace. Uh, There are also relief efforts going on. Uh, I came across a group of young volunteers offering 
serving food and soft drinks that they say were donated by communities from around the country. Uh, 15-year-old Harjun says he felt he had to do something, uh, and he found some others feeling the same way. Here's how he put it. I'm not alone. I'm with my friend, and I uh, know almost everyone from here. Uh, I'm here from, uh, to f uh, help my country, people from my country who are in trouble. Now, there are similar efforts going on here and bigger ones down at the border, and people seem to be gravitating towards attempts, big and small, aimed at helping others. How long that might last is hard to predict. Well, now that the Armenian government in Nagorno-Karabakh has said it will dissolve itself and cease to exist, basically, what does that mean for the future? Well, people are saying it appears Armenians who do stay in Nagorno-Karabakh would have no choice but to live under Azerbaijani rule. Uh, and Baku has said it's ready to govern fairly. But after so many years of mistrust and tension, serious doubts linger. Uh, people here in Armenia find it hard to believe that large numbers of ethnic Armenians would take that offer seriously. And of course, Azerbaijan has its grievances as well. In the early 90s, when the ethnic Armenians established this enclave in Nagorno-Karabakh, thousands of Azerbaijanis were killed or displaced. Uh, people here in Armenia say they expect most ethnic Armenians to make the journey to Armenia, some for the first time, most likely. The numbers have continued to rise day by day. The government here says more than 97,000 refugees have crossed out of Nagorno-Karabakh so far, and that's in an enclave that was estimated to hold about 120,000 ethnic Armenians in total. Hmm. Well, what could all of this mean for the government there in Yerevan? That is also a big common theme among people I've talked to here. Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan is blamed for mishandling the situation. His traditional ally Russia did nothing to stop the Azerbaijani attack. And that had been seen as shocking to some. They thought of it as an alliance stretching all the way back to the days of what historians call the 1915 Armenian genocide at the hands of Ottoman forces. But beyond that, Western countries also failed to come to Pashtun's aid, and people here are wondering where their leaders will turn to chart a path forward. Some wonder if the Armenian prime minister has much of a political future left. But few here seem to be relishing an internal political fight in Armenia right now, saying that hardly seems likely to contribute to healing scars and getting past the events of recent days. That is NPR's Peter Kenyon in Yerevan, Armenia. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks, Elsa. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Spalding Rehabilitation. For expert care, turn to Spalding with three inpatient hospitals, a skilled nursing facility, and outpatient centers across Eastern Mass. Spalding is a world leader in advanced rehab treatment and research. U.S. News ranks Spalding number two for rehab care in the country. SpaldingRehab.org. I'm Lisa Mullins. Local news is more relevant than ever before. Whether we're covering climate change or income inequality or health care, these issues affect us right where we live. WBUR's local journalism needs a strong future, but that's far from certain. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. Help get us to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. Or you can call 1-800-909-9287. You can start your monthly gift there. And can we make a suggestion if you can do 
$12 a month. $12 a month. What What is that, Jay Clayton? For $3 a week? $3, $3, a, $3 week. Yep. a week. Maybe a cup of coffee. Uh, we will be able to send you a thank you gift. Uh, and that gift is the new uh, Otto Lange cookbook, Extra Good Things. It came out last year. Uh, and we will send you that book as our thanks for your $12 a month contribution for the news. But become a monthly sustainer to this radio station because that's the goal of this fall fundraiser. Again, the number 1-800-909-9287. Or you can go to WBUR.org. You can check out the cookbook there. You will also get a shot at winning that trip to London that we've been talking about for the past few days. That chance ends at 7 o'clock, about an hour away from mm. now. And, in fact, the cookbook is only uh, in the offering for another hour until 7 o'clock, too. So lots of reasons to t- start your monthly contribution. And, of course, the biggest reason of all is that this is the underbelly of the funding of WBUR. It's the biggest share of the funding of WBUR. And when you make an ongoing uh, gift, an automatic gift of $12 a month or 20 or 25 or whatever you are able to do, that gives us longer-term financial stability. And that is so important in this environment where journalism is just being hit from all sides. So we really need that support. We're counting on it. And we're hoping that you will do it before 7 o'clock so you have the added benefit of maybe getting that cookbook as our thanks and maybe winning that trip to London. one 800 9287 or WBUR.org. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Misinformation is having a profound impact on our country. We need strong voices that tell the truth and deliver the facts. WBUR amplifies those voices, and its strength is listener support. Monthly contributions to WBUR ensure that hundreds of thousands of listeners get information they need to make critical decisions every day. Not a monthly contributor yet? You can make a meaningful difference at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Become a monthly contributor to WBUR. It is more difficult than ever uh, to get through to the truth, to provide clarity. There are so many voices uh, competing for attention and competing uh, for their viewpoints and their slant on the news. And WBUR is where you go to get independent, thoughtful, in-depth journalism and information about your world. And we work very hard to do that, harder than ever. And of course, it's an evolving media landscape. It's on the air. It's online. It's on our app. It's events. It's city space. We are continuing to evolve to bring you our content in new ways and to serve you better. We're asking you to make a pledge today and do it in the next hour. Maybe you can contribute $12 a month and get the Otto Lange Extra Good Things cookbook, but get enrolled in that sweepstakes to win a trip to London. It's only until 7 o'clock tonight and only by calling 800-909-9287 or going to WBUR.org. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Workday, an enterprise management cloud focused on providing organizations with a system to continuously plan for all what-if scenarios. Workday, the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. From the estate of Joan B. Kroc, whose bequest serves as an enduring investment in the future of public radio and seeks to help NPR produce programming that meets the highest standards of public service in journalism and cultural expression. 
From the Kauffman Foundation, providing access to opportunities that help people achieve financial stability, upward mobility, and economic prosperity, regardless of race, gender, or geography. Kauffman.org. And from the Doris Duke Foundation. I'm here now host Robin Young, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, 89.1 WBUH-Booster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Conservative hardliners defeated a House short-term funding bill just a day before the deadline to avert a shutdown. NPR's Deirdre Walsh reports the Senate is working on a bipartisan bill, but an agreement is unlikely before the midnight Saturday deadline. 21 House conservatives joined Democrats to defeat House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's bill. The Speaker rejected the Senate's bipartisan bill to keep agencies funded through mid-November and include $5 billion for disaster aid and $6 billion for Ukraine. McCarthy's decision to work just with Republicans means a shutdown is expected this weekend. South Dakota Republican Congressman Dusty Johnson blame those who block the GOP bill. I think the 21 holdouts will hear from a lot of members that their opposition to a bill that cuts spending and secures the border is going to make it a lot harder for any of us to view them as partners in the future. Democrats say it's time for McCarthy to work across the aisle to avoid a shutdown. Deirdre Welsh, NPR News, The Capitol. The United Auto Workers have expanded their strike against Detroit automakers, adding 7,000 workers at a Ford plant in Chicago and a GM factory near Lansing, Michigan. UAW head Sean Fain says they spared Stellantis, parent company of Jeep and Chrysler, because... Stellantis made significant progress on the 2009 cost of living allowance, the right not to cross a picket line, as well as the right to strike over product commitments and plant closures and outsourcing moratoriums. It's the second escalation of the strikes that started two weeks ago over pay, working hours, and benefits. Contract talks continue. The Ford plant makes the police interceptor and the Lincoln Aviator SUV, and the GM plant makes the large crossover SUVs. Police in Las Vegas have arrested a man in connection with the death of rapper Tupac Shakur in 1996. And Pierce Chloe Veltman has more. Dwayne Keith Davis is being held in police custody after a Nevada grand jury indicted the 60-year-old former gang leader on one count of murder with use of a deadly weapon and with the intent to promote, further or assist a criminal gang. Clark County Sheriff Kevin McMahill spoke at a press conference. Well, I know there's been many people who did not believe that the murder of Tupac Shakur was important to this police department. I'm here to tell you. That was simply not the case. Tupac Shakur was fatally wounded in a drive-by shooting in September 1996 in Las Vegas. Davis admitted years ago to having been in the vehicle from which someone fired at Shakur. Davis later said the shooter was his nephew, who died in 1998. Chloe Veltman, NPR News. The Federal Reserve's favorite inflation gauge rose less than expected last month. The Commerce Department says the personal consumption price index, excluding food and energy, rose one-tenth of a percent for August. You're listening to NPR News. 
This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good evening. I'm Deborah Becker. Members of the state's congressional delegation are remembering U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. Senator Ed Markey calls her a champion for the rights of women. Congresswoman Catherine Clark says Feinstein was an unparalleled figure in American politics who inspired generations of leaders. Former State Senator Dean Tran has been indicted on two counts of violating state ethics laws. The state Attorney General's office accuses the 47-year-old Fitchburg Republican of using his Senate staff to campaign for him on state time during his 2018 and 2020 re-election bids. Today's weather is causing numerous flight disruptions in and out of Logan Airport. The website FlightAware says there have been almost 400 delays and 45 canceled flights at the airport today. According to the Federal Aviation Administration, flights from Logan to JFK Airport in New York are delayed for almost three and a half hours. In our weather forecast, more rain. Rain throughout the evening tonight. Thunderstorms as well. Temperatures in the 50s. Tomorrow, lingering showers in the morning, cloudy the rest of the day, highs in the 60s, but it should be sunny Sunday and Monday, temperatures both days around 70. It's 56 degrees in Boston. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by American Jewish World Service, supporting human rights advocates worldwide in the fight for democracy, equity, and justice for all people. Learn more at AJWS.org. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. We're living in a world where oftentimes it's only those who can afford a subscription who have access to many of the most credible, high-quality news sources. However, WBUR is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime, and for free. But we can't take our future for granted. So giving $10 or $20 a month will help give our journalism a strong future for you and for everyone. Give monthly if you can at WBUR.org. And give monthly because what you're doing is you're paying your bill, really, for your public radio listening, and you're helping us know that we will have the resources to be able to bring you quality, independent journalism. We've got a lot of news going on today. We are remembering California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's died at the age of 90. We are covering the government shutdown. That's likely when the government will technically run out of money by the end of the day tomorrow. We are covering all the local news like the weather and the flooding in New York and how that is having a ripple effect uh, in New England. We're here for you every day. We're asking you to be there for us during this fundraiser and help us out by becoming a sustaining member of WBUR, giving us a monthly contribution, whatever amount is appropriate for you. But if it's $12 a month, we'll send you a thank you gift. We'll be able to send you the Otto Lange Extra Good Things Cookbook as our thanks for your contribution of $12 a month. Here's the number again. It's 1-800-909-9287. The website's WBUR.org. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio with Jay Clayton. And speaking of Otto Lange, Jay. Yes, speaking of Otto Lange, we also have this trip to London that we are giving away. And you might have heard about this. It is to go to four Otto Lange restaurants, which are in London. All of his places are in London. Mm -hmm. So we're going to send you and a friend there for uh, 
five days and four nights, and you'll be able to eat at these amazing places. And of course, spend all the rest of your time seeing and checking out everything there is to see in London. And there is quite a bit. So I don't know if you could do that in five days. Well, not all of it, but you know, <laughs> uh, but you know, you can see quite a bit. So. But here is the thing, okay? It is 6.08 in the evening. Mm -hmm. This chance to win and your chance to get that cookbook that Deb mentioned, both of those chances end at 7 o'clock, 52 mm -hmm. minutes from now. So take a moment, start a monthly gift to give WBUR more financial certainty for the journalism that we all count on and get the chance to uh, win the trip. And if you'd like, pick up the cookbook as our thanks, all at WBUR.org. Or you can give us a call if that's easier, 1-800-909-9287. Okay, we're calling all you Otto Lange lovers out there. We know you're out there because he's a famous, well-known chef who writes in the New York Times and writes in The Guardian. He has a lot of cookbooks, including the one that we're offering you for your $12 a month contribution for the news. So he's been around for a long, long time. He has not expanded internationally beyond London, but how terrific would it be just to go to as London? As much as Deborah. But, would like him to. Right, right. I keep saying, how about Boston? We're here. <laughs> we'll take you. Uh, he goes actually on a tour and talks about his cooking. He just talks about it. His international tour. He's a very well-known chef. So this is a great opportunity. London in, it, uh, in and of itself is a wonderful uh, travel experience. But uh, if you really like to go and try Otto Lange's dishes firsthand, then here's your chance. Take advantage of this because you'll get a wonderful trip to London with the added bonus of getting the these gift cards to eat at Otto Lange restaurants and and see uh, his cooking, how it's supposed to be done. That, that just tells you about how I've made his recipes, right, Jay? Yeah, I've, I'm, I've, I'm not I've, going there. Yeah, you know, Thank you. That's really <laughs> nice of you. So call now, become a monthly sustainer, get the cookbook, and get in on the sweepstakes. 1-800-909-9287. 51 minutes to go to get in on that. We've got a lot more coming up on All Things Considered in just a second, so stay with us for that. Marketplace coming up, too. Stay with us for that. But do take a minute to start a monthly contribution to WBUR to help us fund this journalism. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Now 50 minutes left to get a shot at winning that trip to London. Okay, not much time, so do it as soon as you can. Don't put it off anymore because you'll be saying, oh no, it's after 7, I didn't get in on the sweepstakes. Get in on it now. Make that call now. It takes just a couple of minutes. Make your pledge to WBUR. Get in on the sweepstakes to win the trip to London and the gift cards to the Otto Lange restaurants. And if you can do $12 a month and become a monthly sustainer to WBUR, which again, our goal is to get 2,500 new sustaining members to WBUR by the end of this fund drive. If you can do that, you're entered in the sweepstakes. Your $12 a month gets you the Otto Lange cookbook. But again, this ends in 50 minutes. You only have until 7 p.m. 49. Nine minutes now. 49 minutes now. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cityside Subaru, introducing the all-new, all-electric Subaru Solterra on Route 60 in Belmont and at CitysideSubaru.com. Love is now electric. And Bridgewater State University, hosting Nobel Peace Prize laureate Lech Walesa on campus October 3rd. Bridgew.edu slash events. 
This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Ari Shapiro in Washington. And I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. Well, with about one day to go before a government shutdown, the Republican-led House imploded over a key vote. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy faced a humiliating blow when a new Republican spending stopgap failed. On this vote, the yeas are 198, the nays are 232, the bill is not passed. It was part of a series of failed votes in the House on spending bills, none of which would have prevented a shutdown. Now the Senate and House remain far apart on how to solve this crisis. And NPR congressional correspondent Claudia Grisales is here with more. Hey, Claudia. Hi, Elsa. Okay, so explain why it matters that this House bill in particular failed today. Well, it's a reminder how dire this moment is. It was just very shocking to see 21 Republicans vote against a spending bill crafted by by their own leadership to meet the demands of their own party. It signals this widening gap between Speaker McCarthy and his conference. That is, they're moving farther apart as this government shutdown deadline gets closer. And so now the House was trying to race and finally pass their own bill as the Senate's working through a proposal of their own. So it's send House members now back behind closed doors to see if they can find some sort of Hail Mary pass at this point. But again, this was a partisan bill, did not get enough support so far. And this is as the Democratic-led Senate's trying to work on their own plan. Right. Well, let's talk about Democrats, because I feel like we've been talking a lot about Republicans infighting with each other. What about Democrats? So in the House, they're sticking to their posture and elsewhere that Republicans are to blame for this impending shutdown. And and these House Democrats are largely on the sidelines, putting more stock into this bipartisan proposal that's making its way through the Senate. The hope is that the Senate can convince McCarthy to allow a vote on this plan. It would pass under bipartisan support in the House. But because of Senate rules, that bill won't make it to the House until later this weekend and likely not in time to avert a shutdown. That said, Senate members are still trying to come up with their own Hail Mary pass, so we'll see. But it's hard to say it will happen fast enough. Well, where does the White House stand at this point? So they're arguing they've done their part here. They point to a deal that was made between President Biden and Speaker McCarthy earlier this year. This was the debt limit deal to avert this kind of scenario when it came to funding. Shalonda Young, the director of the Office of Management and Budget, talked to reporters about this at the White House today. Enough is enough. A deal is a deal. Extreme House Republicans need to stop playing political games with people's lives, keep their promise, and keep the government open. And Young was part of these negotiations earlier this year on the debt limit. She worked with Speaker McCarthy's team and going back and forth to the White House. But McCarthy later walked away from details of this plan that included the spending um, expectations for later this year after pressure from hardline Republicans. Well, Claudia, it does seem like a government shutdown is pretty much inevitable. How quickly do you think people are going to be feeling the effects of this? Well, pretty quickly, come Monday, government services that are normally there will be impacted. Many federal workers will be furloughed. And while those who are considered essential, they'll be forced to work essentially for free without any guarantee they're going to get back pay. And this includes members of the military. Federal agencies will have to shutter certain departments. And as each day goes by, this impact will widen and more Americans will feel it. That is NPR congressional correspondent Claudia Grisales. Thank you so much, Claudia. Thank you. 
Voters in Slovakia, a country of 5 million that borders Ukraine, head to the polls tomorrow. The front-running candidate for prime minister is a Kremlin-friendly populist who's been prosecuted for his ties to criminal gangs. If his party wins, it would mark a dramatic about-face for what was once one of Ukraine's biggest supporters. NPR's Rob Schmitz reports from Bratislava. On a map, Slovakia straddles the border between Western Europe and a region influenced and more recently invaded by Russia. And on the eve of a national election, says political scientist Eric Lastich, Slovakia lies in the same political territory, sandwiched between illiberal, some say dying, democracies like Poland to its north and Viktor Orban's Hungary to the south. Then there's democratic Austria and the Czech Republic to its west and to Slovakia's east, Ukraine with Russia trying to close in. So this debate about where Slovakia belongs, whether it's Western Europe or we have to be good friends with Russia. That last option is the one preferred by the front-running party Smer, or Direction, in Slovak. Its candidate for prime minister, Robert Fico, is well known to voters here. He's been prime minister twice before, and he and his left-wing party have campaigned on a pro-Russian, anti-American platform. The only winner of war in Ukraine, said Fico in a campaign ad, are American weapons manufacturers who are controlling President Biden. Fico, labeled a populist by political analysts, repeats the Russian narrative about the war, calling Ukrainians Nazis and insisting the West starts wars and the East offers peace. You have conspiracy theories about foreign agents funded by CIA, funded by United States. Katarina Klinkova of the Globsec Center for Democracy and Resilience says many Slovaks feel an affinity for Russia that goes back more than a century. Slovaks are vulnerable to, let's say, pro-Russian sentiments, and there are several drivers of this Russian soft power. You know, you have generations since the 19th century who were taught about this pan-Slavic connections with the Russians. Klinkova's organization conducted a survey in Slovakia a few years ago that found 78% of Slovaks consider Russians to be, quote, Slavic brothers. And Moscow has exploited these feelings. A year ago, Slovak security forces filmed a diplomat from the Russian embassy handing over cash to a writer for a Slovak disinformation website. Russia's then-deputy military attaché is heard telling the writer, I told Moscow you were such a good boy with many friends in the Slovak mafia. He then asks the writer to find others willing to cooperate with the Kremlin. The website is now blocked in Slovakia and the diplomat deported. One party pushing back on Russian influence is Progressive Slovakia, which is running neck and neck with Fico's party and, if elected, promises to keep Slovakia's priorities in line with the EU and NATO. Party Vice Chair Tomáš Valašek says the health of Slovakia's democracy and its role in the EU is at stake in this election. He worries what will happen if Fico's party wins. My worry is that it will start to chip away on things we take for granted, which is freedom of media, NGO, non-governmental sector. They may redirect uh, all of the um, public procurement contracts towards a few select oligarchs close to power. This type of corruption has plagued Fico in the past. Dozens of officials, politicians, and business people linked to Fico's party have been convicted of corruption. And when a Slovak journalist began writing about alleged ties between the Italian mafia and Fico's associates, he was gunned down along with his fiancée. The killings prompted protests that led to the collapse of Fico's government in 2018. 
Fico later faced criminal charges for creating an organized crime group, but a pro-Russian prosecutor general stepped in and threw out the indictment. When NPR reached out to Fico, a party spokesperson replied that nobody from his smear party speaks to foreign media. Political scientist Eric Lastir sees a parallel between how Fico frames the criminal charges against him in his campaign for prime minister with a political figure familiar to Americans. But he's using any criminal investigation against him or his allies as another example is they are going after him. So I'm fighting for you. They are trying to stop me. So this is similar to Trump. Critics of Fizzo say he's running for re-election in part to escape future criminal charges. In the old town of Bratislava, a musician plays while people hurry past along cobblestone streets. Nearly everyone I stop uses the same word to describe Fizzo. Fizzo is mafia. But at a farmer's market in the rundown outskirts of the city, a different opinion emerges. A young man who only gives his first name, Milan, says he likes Fico, but he will vote for the Republic Party, a far-right nationalist party. He calls Slovakia's progressives incompetent idiots and says nothing works in his country. He's not alone. Two-thirds of Slovaks leave their country after high school to live elsewhere in Europe. Those who remain will head to the polls on Saturday and decide between two very different futures for their country. Rob Schmitz, NPR News, Bratislava. Photographer Stephen Lomas has a picture that has been in his room for a long time. It shows a solitary tree standing between two hills in northeast England. It was a photographer's paradise. It was a photographer's dream location. It's the Sycamore Gap tree, estimated to have lived for 200 years and famous for appearing in films like Robin Hood. The first time I went there, it's hard to describe because it is just so magical and the terrain is just special. The tree's special and it's beautiful to look at no matter what the weather. It just offers something different. Well, that iconic tree is now gone. Earlier this week, police arrested a 16-year-old suspected of cutting it down. And all week, people have been paying tribute to that tree. Some people have said, it's just a tree. What's the big deal? Nobody's died. True. But it's an iconic, it was an iconic part of our particular corner of the world. The tree sat at a dip in Hadrian's Wall, which marked the northernmost boundary of the Roman Empire. Lomas says he's visited the tree about 20 times and cherishes the memories. The last time that I visited was in March, just me and my dad, with a beautiful, fresh blanket of snow across the, the landscape. And the sun was just starting to set. And I got some stunning photographs. And I feel really sad now that. Although the landscape's still there, the tree isn't. The National Trust, a conservation group in the UK, told NPR that it is possible for the tree to regrow, but it's too early to tell for sure. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by the Boston Book Festival, happening in Copley Square October 14th. The lineup includes Drew Gilpin Faust, Adam Gopnik, Tom Parada, Danielle Allen, Jeffrey Tubin, Terry Tempest Williams, Richard North Patterson, and Heather Cox Richardson. BostonBookFest.org. 
I was in the kitchen washing dishes, watching testimony from a state house hearing that happened earlier in the day. The topic they were talking about was wheelchairs, and the testimony was just so striking. I stopped doing the dishes, and I began taking notes. I felt very vulnerable, extremely vulnerable. Researchers estimate that more than half of wheelchairs break down in any typical six-month period, and it regularly takes months to get a chair fixed. And the guy opens the package in front of me, and it's the wrong part. And it always is the wrong part. After the story aired, I heard from dozens of listeners, and many weren't wheelchair users themselves. They just wanted to be part of a solution. I am Gabriela Emanuel, a health and science reporter here at WBUR. We want to tell you more stories like this one. If you can, please consider making a monthly gift at WBUR.org. You can also make a monthly gift by calling 1-800-909-9287. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this evening with Jay Clayton, and, and we're here asking you to help pay for the stories. Stories like you'll hear from reporters like Gabriella, or I want to mention the terrific investigation that uh, our team just wrapped up about public housing in Massachusetts and the number of units that are vacant and have been for quite some time. Really terrific investigation investigative journalism, great work by Gabriella on wheelchairs and the wheelchair story. And and really, we come across stories just like that. We think about how many people is this affecting? What does this story mean? What does it say? Do we tell this story? How do we do it? And we spend a lot of time figuring out the best way to do it, the voices to bring to you. And we put it online and on uh, in our app so you can access it on your phone, on your computer. We're doing this all all the time for you. We're asking you to do your part and make a pledge to WBUR during this fundraiser. And we're looking for monthly subscribers, monthly sustainers uh, who will make a monthly pledge to WBUR. And we have to say, Jay, 35 minutes left to get a terrific thank you gift to get in on our sweepstakes. Yes, we are giving away this amazing trip to London. It's valued at $7,000, and it's five days and four nights for you and the person that that is lucky to go with you. And it includes a round-trip airfare, of course, and accommodations, wonderful accommodations in London. And you will have four of your meals at Otto Lenghi restaurants, which are all situated in London. It's the only place they are, which is why we chose, you know, of course, that destination, because we want to be able to give you this experience experience. Mm-hmm. But your chance to win ends at seven o'clock and that is now just 34 minutes from now. So mm-hmm. and it only takes a couple of minutes to give. Just go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. i give you that again. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Just need to make sure you do it before seven o'clock. Yeah, that's right. This sweepstakes ends at 7 o'clock. It's five days and four nights in London with gift cards, four uh, four gift cards to Otto Lange restaurants in London, which, as Jay said, it's the only place you can eat uh, Otto Lange Lange food uh, cooked as he intended because that's where his restaurants are. He has not expanded internationally. So you'll be able to do that when... uh, 
if, <laughs> not when, <laughs> if you are the person who wins the WBUR sweepstakes for the trip to London. And you know, uh, it really is hard to kind of pigeonhole uh, Autolangi food. Is it Mediterranean? Uh, is it Middle Eastern? Uh, how do you describe it? And so here's a little bit of Autolangi talking with Rachel Martin uh, on NPR's Morning Edition, where, where he talked about his sort of vegetable-focused, highly seasoned food. Let's listen. I grew up in, in Jerusalem in the Middle East and in various parts of the Middle East and Asia. The diet is very plant-based and uh, doesn't include lots of meat in it. Meat is more special. You add a little bit of it or you don't use it at all. And that attitude, is, as I think, is a very healthy attitude to eating. It's not about denying yourself of something completely. It's about celebrating the wonderful world of, of vegetables. That was Yotam Otto Lange talking about his really uh, vegetable-focused cooking. And uh, he was on with Rachel Martin on NPR's Morning Edition a few years ago. And he has just skyrocketed to popularity with his cookbooks and his columns in The New York Times and in The Guardian. And if you appreciate it and you'd love to try his food in London, well, get in on our sweepstakes. 31 minutes left to make sure that your name is put in that sweepstakes to win a five a four-night trip to London with gift cards to Otto Lange restaurants. Call now 1-800-909-9287 or pledge online at WBUR.org. And, you know, think about what you're doing. Yes, you're getting a chance to win that trip to London. Yes, you can pick up the uh, Otto Lange Test Kitchen cookbook, Extra Good Things, with your contribution of $12 a month. We will happily send that to you as our thanks for that contribution. But again, that ends at 7 o'clock too. And in the bigger picture, you know, think back to what Gabriella talked about at the beginning uh, of mm. uh, this, you know, just a couple of minutes ago when she was talking about the story that she did on people just trying to get their wheelchairs fixed and how difficult that can be mm-hmm. and the impact that that reporting had. There are lots of examples of WBUR reporting having really positive impact which means you're having that positive impact when you help us bring you this reporting because listener support is the biggest share of the funding that pays for it all. So you're really doing something positive and good for yourself and for your community and for everybody who depends on WBUR. That's right. You can hear your money being put to good use every single day. So make that monthly contribution now. Get the cookbook and get in on the trip to London, but only until 7 p.m. you got a half an hour left. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Endless Energy, a certified AeroSeal installer designed to help homeowners get ready for winter by sealing versus replacing existing ductwork. GoEndlessEnergy.com 